Ortiz, Lauren, and RJ. The Frangie Show starts now on 1010XL 92.5 FM. Welcome in to Combine Week, Carline. Here we go. We're headed to Indy. It's time to get the info. I, I don't know if you heard this or not, but I pass along what you told me that how Mia's buying all the steak. Isn't that nice? I mean, I mean who, who would have thought? Yeah. That you had that good of a right out of the gate, you got some good news. She even said I could get like mushrooms and cream spinach. <laughs> See, you even got the mushrooms on I mean, top of that. Yeah, it's going to be pretty You hear that news sweet. and then you hear about the mushrooms. So that is, a, that is great stuff. So um, welcome to the program, folks. Glad you're with us on this Monday. As you know, you probably heard if you listen to the radio station a lot that uh, Hayes, Mia, and I will be at the uh, NFL Combine that starts tomorrow. We'll be there then the rest of the week. Doug Peterson and Trent Balky both come by uh, the table. They'll stop by one one by one and, uh, and and talk a little bit. We also will have uh, all the other play-by-play guys from around the league. Our friend Bucky Brooks will stop by. And who knows, assorted other guests. And an awful lot of sound from the podium. One good thing about this thing, we're able to turn it around in such a way, uh, Hayes, where, where you look up and all of a sudden you're hearing from – so many coaches in the league. I think that's what's what's coaches, players, um, prospects. This is a, a who's who of who you get to hear from, which I think is really good stuff. To me, Tuesday is the best day because of what you're talking about. You just it's it's good to talk to the players, but for the most part, the players are, uh, you know, usually really locked in on not saying anything. Overly, you know, interesting. They, for them, it's very job interviewee. So. Uh, that's the mentality they take throughout. So while it's fun, I mean, look, I'm looking forward to listening to Jared Verse at the podium, and 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 he's very outgoing, so he could be the the exception. But for me, the meat and potatoes of going to the combine is to hear the coaches and executives that are going to be uh, at the podium. I mean, just to give you an example, when Doug Peterson is is talking tomorrow at 12:30, Matt Eberflus of the Bears, Andrew Barry, the GM of the Browns. Kevin O'Connell, obviously the head coach of the Vikings, and Todd Bowles, the coach of the Bucks, they're all talking at the same time. Right. It is just action-packed. Now, obviously, we'll be locked in completely on Doug and Trent when they're at the podium, but it starts at 10 a.m. and basically goes uh, you know, all the way through the afternoon. So Tuesday is the really heavy day for coaches and executives. You know, D'Amico Ryan's at 115. You know, that's, that's one that I, I would really love to hear. Uh, D'Amico Ryan's talk about where Houston is. Uh, we'll get the Colts on Wednesday. There aren't very many coaches and executives going on Wednesday. Currently, there's only six. Uh, two of the six are Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen of Indianapolis. So, uh, you know, you, you try, you want to hear from, you know, the obviously the rival coaches and GMs and kind of where they are and their evaluations and, and what they're willing to talk about. And uh, it's just it's just a lot of fun because you literally – it's it's eight podiums all set up, and you could in a, in a twenty in twenty steps, you might see f- four head coaches that have all done great things in this league. It's just it's really cool. Obviously, there's there's been a lot of talk this week about the coaches that aren't attending, uh, like McVeigh and uh, Lafleur, um, McCarthy, but it's still it's it's still ninety percent of the coaches and and the vast majority of executives are going to. Uh, you know, give the media 15, 20 minutes of their time. And there are some really good nuggets that come out of it. It's not even necessarily what they're going to do in terms of their off seasons. It's, it's trends. Like you'll be amazed. There'll be reporters there that are doing trend stories and a coach or GM will get asked a question and it gives you a little insight into where the league is going. And 
uh, it's it's really a lot of fun. You gain so much knowledge, and uh, it is just an absolute blast. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. So we'll have a lot of uh, fun stuff to report in. I'm looking forward to that. I like the trip. I like St. Elmo's. St. Elmo's is good. Do you have a reservation, or did Mia also take care of that? I think Mia might have taken care of the reservation. I may drag her in her today just to make sure she confirms that she's doing all the buying. Well, she said she's got that UNF adject money. Well, that's big. (laughs) It is big, so we're going to drag her in there. All right, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, All kind of things to get to today. I'm going to weigh in on the court storming. It's gotten out of control. I got a thought or two about that. We'll all weigh in on that. I'm going to weigh in on a a handful of players that we'll see at the Combine that I want to get your thoughts on, and I'll give you mine as well, some players that are – that are interesting, some from all of our schools. Um, Russell Wilson is going to get cut, right? They're going to cut it. Uh, it certainly yeah, seems like yeah. that's let's a possibility. A, okay. So let's assume the Broncos cut Russell Wilson. What's left? I mean, I is he is he the answer is somewhere in between. If I ask you, is he the really good player in Seattle and or the abysmally bad player in Denver? The answer for that for that is always somewhere in between. But later on, we won't do it now. But later on, I want to kind of get to the where, you know, where in between. Because we, we talked about the dearth of, of free agent quarterbacks that can help you anymore. Kirk Cousins and Kirk Cousins can start for anybody. Not for anybody. But he can start for a lot of teams. If Baker Mayfield got out of Tampa, which I don't think he will, then he would certainly move the needle for some teams. He could start for probably six, seven teams. Yeah. But, boy, that's about it. So it makes me wonder where Russell Wilson fill, falls. You know, I we talk, I mean, because if Gardner Minshew's next in line, either, I would say more Mayfield than Cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably I would too. I would too. I, that, that, so we'll get we'll get to that. Mm. But it, but it's an I agree with that. But it's an interesting topic. So we'll talk about that coming up on the program today. So I got a lot of football to do. Can't wait to get to some of that. Uh, spring training baseball, the Grapefruit League is underway. If you watch this, if you're if you're sick like some people, <laughs> like some of us, you might have watched. Um, it's an outside chance you watched every pitch of a spring training game over the weekend. What was your evaluation of your club? I don't like it. Okay. Yeah. But, but you can't really tell much yet. It was, they lost right. two to nothing. But uh, but here's the beauty of spring training. Regardless of who your club is, it's freaking spring training. It's palm trees and good weather and sunshine in Florida. And there's just a magic to it. And so uh, so that's kind of cool. So, um, the River City Rumble was fantastic. Mm-hmm. It was, we, I've seen two rumbles. They've both been absolutely fantastic. Um, tip of the cap to both coaches. Matthew, I said this, I'm, I'm going to actually start with this. Matthew Driscoll uh, made a terrific defensive adjustment that I think won him the first rumble. Um, Jordan Mincy made a terrific a, a defensive adjustment that won him the second rumble. And uh, and all of a sudden, Jay, you could be in play for that playoff spot. Hopefully they will get there. UNF is our SA playoff in the ACS Sun Tournaments. We'll certainly talk about that. All coming up on the program today. So I got a lot of stuff today we want to get to on the program. Florida basketball. You know, when you're good, then you calmly take care of business without issue. It doesn't have to be – you don't have to win 104 to 50. You just calmly take care of business. They look like they are rounding into that team for me. I, I agree. Uh, that'll be our, our take flight later in the show. And uh, yeah, I, I thought the most impressive stat to me in the game was – they led by double digits the last 26 minutes and nine seconds of game time. That is extraordinary. That is domination. That means basically with 6.09 left in the first half, Florida went up by double digits, and Vandy never got it back to within single digits. So, yes, Vandy had an 8-0 run in the second half, things like that, but they never were able to get it uh, to single digits the remainder of the game. So Florida, I, I thought, showed great killer instinct against a bad team. 
Uh, but still, to your point, that's what you have to do. Uh, it wasn't going to help them in any sort of metric because Vanderbilt is so far down in the net. But just go take care of your business and get get that important other you know W on the resume. All right, so we're going to talk about that. We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Fun stuff to get to today on the program. Frangi and Carlion with you, R.J. Saunders, uh, running it all. Uh, Lauren Brooks is on vacation. She's in Puerto Rico. They're uh, surfing, having fun, and enjoying the wonderful weather. I would bet she'll be back in a week from today. Hayes and me and I, of course, take off for Indianapolis first thing in the morning. The rest of our programs this week will be live from India. I want to start with a terrific River City rumble and a little college hoop. That's how we kick off the program. It's 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Best Bet Monday on The Frangie Show with fantastic locations in Jacksonville, Orange Park, and now in St. Augustine. It's Best Bet. So I got to tell you, Carline from the Bowl School, great weather weekend. Wasn't it great? It was unbelievable. Played golf both so days. Good. Played like crap. Wow. But that's it's okay. It's okay. Played it. And I and I hate, you know me, I hate the cold weather. So yeah. I'm like, but it was a, it's not perfect golf weather for me when it's like 62, can dip into the 50s, but it's close. Because you get that 68 to 70, that's like the perfect weather. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love, I love living in We're Florida. Almost, you know, you know if, I did, if I didn't live in Florida, you know what I'd do? Move to Florida. Smart. That's what I would. If I, right now, if I lived like in Utah yeah. or Louisiana mm-hmm. or like Connecticut, you know what I'd do? Move to Florida. That's a good idea. Wouldn't you do that? I mean, Absolutely. If right, if right now I said, right now you live in Alabama, what would you do? You'd I, move to Florida. I mean, it's not just the weather. You get all the, you get the tax breaks. Yes, I mean, yes. you get, I mean, there's so many, so many great reasons to live in Florida. Uh, and we're almost done with the... Uh, with the cold, yeah, we're almost done with our month and a half of cold. Yeah, and that'll be, and then it'll be. I, I, I was, I, I'm now as we're Suzanne and I was just sitting out by the pool and just, and I played golf and the weather was great. I said, I'm, you know, here's, there's some things I'm glad about: not living in Minnesota and not living in the other 48 states. That's right. That, those are the two things I'm glad about. So yeah, and uh, we're getting to the point now where it's uh, starting. The sunsets are coming a little yes, later. Yes, yes. I can actually it's like longer you know, days. See, yeah, longer days. See the sun still when we get Man, I mean, get done here. Yeah, I love football season. We all live for it. We can't wait for training camp. We can't wait for the first games. We can't wait for the college season to kick off the pro season. But this, uh, my friend Rick Ballou always says this, and I will and I will laud him for this. When people say, "Man, it's only three more weeks." Man, it's only eight more weeks. He says, "Stop." Stop and I, and by the way, and I, he's talking to me because I'm that guy. Well, I'm uh, you're that guy. Yeah, I'm still that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, but it's great advice. Stop. Enjoy. Enjoy. It's not great advice. <laughs> it's terrible advice. <laughs> enjoy. Enjoy 72 degrees and and wonderful weather. So it's good advice. You're you're too young. You're yeah, just you're just a kid. Advice. Well, you've been out of college two, three years. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're, right. You're, you're just a kid. So when you were when you get were, us to the next football season veteran, as quickly as you're you can. You're a veteran like us. You'd understand. Um. So the River City Rumble the other night, in the first River City Rumble. In at UNF, two teams played tough, hard-nosed, close game for the first half. I think JU led at the half, uh, and then UNF went to a zone. You remember it. They right. went to a, a good zone, and JU never figured it out. They never figured out the zone, and UNF won the game. Fast forward to Friday night. UNF led at the half, led big early on, then led at the half. JU starts running a second player at Chaz Lanier. So – you you might have heard Mia say at that at the at the handoff that some of the coaches said they were they had something planned for him. Well, 
I think what they found out is most teams hadn't done that. So Chaz Leonard is a great player, great kid, great player, one of the best players in UNF's his- history, really is. Probably will be conference player of the year. Probably going to be. Right. Certainly right in the mix. Should be the ASUN player of the year. But JU started running a second player at him. And every time he touched it, every time he touched it, certainly during all that period of the second half, a second, so he's double teamed. Now, now if you get it out of your hands, that means someone's open. But if the guy double teaming you, just waving his arms and all, and, and playing good defense, I thought JU running a second player at Chaz Leonard, much like Matthew Driscoll coming up with that really creative zone the first time, Jordan Mincy coming up with that really creative double team the second time, led JU to a win. UNF shot 30%. That's the lowest in a conference game for them all year long, and the second lowest all year long in any game. They don't, UNF's such a good shooting team, they just don't shoot 70, 30%. They're good. But I, so I thought JU's defensive play, and by the way, for JU to win a game, JU needs to win those 58 to 45. UNF wins those 88 to 75s. And so, uh, but it was a fun game. Both rumbles, the two teams split, were really fun to watch. I really enjoyed that one on Friday night. If you had told me that UNF would play a basketball game this season and only make 13 field goals in the game, I would think they were playing Houston right. in the one versus 16 game right. in the NCAA tournament. Because Houston has maybe the best defense in the country. Right. Like, that's the only thing that would make sense. They made 13 field goals. In 40 minutes. It's hard to believe. It's really, really hard to believe. They they were 16 to 17 at the foul line to uh, salvage. I mean, salvage 50 points is is incredibly low. But, I, I mean, that's just incredible. So it certainly speaks to JU's defensive plan and execution of that plan. They forced 20 turnovers. So, I mean, again, think about that. UNF, who is the nation's best three-point shooting team, played a game in which they made 13 field goals and committed 20 turnovers. It's unthinkable. And uh, NJU was plus 14 rebounding as well, so they won the uh, the battle uh, on the glass by a wide margin. We've talked about JU offensively and its struggles. They have to be opportunistic. There were two baskets in the second half that I thought really enabled them to get the win. Cook makes a corner three, 17 minutes left in the game to make it 32-31 JU. I thought that was a big momentum play. And then UNF goes on a little bit of a run in the final few minutes of the game, and Nye Black hits a baseline jumper right. to make it 58-47 with 2.30 left. Might have been the biggest shot of the game. Those were the two yeah. plays that it, it felt like JU was was really stepping up and getting the kind of offense, uh, opportunistic offense it needed uh, to keep UNF at bay. So, I mean, yeah, tremendous win for the Dolphins, and – it does wonders in terms of getting them into the conference tournament. Uh, we've talked about how they've got a very favorable road now uh, with with final two games at home, you know. And and for UNF, obviously, uh, you hope that they can finish strong right. strong with two wins also at home and get to ten and six in league play and and see where that puts them. Maybe that can push them all the way up to the the second line if they get a, if they get some help. Here's the good thing: both of our teams now, both of the Jacksonville teams, we root for them. We don't lie about that. Both of the, the local teams are home both, both nights this week against the other two Florida teams. Uh, UNF plays host to Florida Gulf Coast and then Stetson Wednesday, Friday. JU plays host to Stetson and then Florida Gulf Coast Wednesday, Friday. If UNF wins both, they're then 17 and 14, and they get to 10 and 6 in the league. If JU wins both, they get to 16 and 14, and they get to 7 and 9 in the league. Which should make both of those guys, uh, both both teams, comfortable in the A Sun tournament. UNF desperately trying to get a home game in the in the tournament. So, but it, it was I'm telling you, and Stetson could lose both. 
Stetson's yes, the two right. seed right now at 10 and four, but having to play at UNF and at JU, they could finish 10 and six. I mean, again, JU's only lost one time at home this year. 11 and one. So, I mean, that, and obviously UNF is, is a tremendous challenge. Uh, and so, yes, I mean, I don't think it's out of the realm that Stetson could finish 10 and six. And if that happens, then UNF has a, has a chance. If UNF beats Gulf Coast, then they'd have the same record. As we sit here today, Eastern Kentucky, this is in the league. Eastern Kentucky is 12 and two. Stetson to Hayes' point a minute ago was 10 and four. And then Lipscomb's nine and five. Austin Pay and UNF are both eight and six. So those five teams are really lumped together. Those five teams obviously are all in. And they're all trying to get to that uh, that one or two. They all could get there. Any any I say all. They're not going to all get there together. But any of them could get to that one and two line where you host and somebody else plays on your floor and you play them the next day, and that's the best scenario. Of the yeah, two. I mean Eastern Kentucky is going to be the one. That's but, right. That's but, not going to. But, but from two that, to two to five is I think pretty wide open. Totally agree. I think Stetson, Lipscomb, Austin P, and UNF are all lumped in there together. Great, great point. No one's going to catch EKU, but those other four are lumped in there together. Meanwhile, 10 of the 12 go to the tournament. JU now is in the 10th spot. They are one game ahead of Central Arkansas, and Bellarmine is 4 and 10. Did Bellarmine play a fewer, one fewer game? Or Central Arkansas has played one more game, I guess it looks like. It's interesting. Yeah, they must have. Maybe played. they have a bye, a midweek bye, and they just play one more this weekend would be my guess. Yeah, so JU is, is a half game ahead of them, one full game ahead of Bellarmine, but – Really, right behind, a half game behind Kennesaw and Queens, who both have the open week this week until Friday. So, so I mean, you're you look up, Jay, you could climb all the way to six or seven in terms right. of a seed within the Atlantic. So, anyway, it was, a, it was a really, it really was enjoyable. It was enjoyable to watch. It was enjoyable to be there. I, I say this all the time. There's a reason every time there's a rumble and we're not at a combine or off or whatever. We're going to go live from there because it's really good basketball. It's two local teams. It's two hard-nosed, tough-nosed programs. Uh, the Atlantic Sun is not a power five or power six, whatever they have these days. No one, no one's making it out to be. But I'm telling you, Hayes, it's good, tough, hard-nosed basketball and really a fun watch on Friday night. Well, look, I mean, one of these teams is going to get an invitation to the big dance. I mean, that this conference does have a road – that's to right. the final four. I mean, it's it's obviously they're going to be outmanned, and it would be the story of all stories if the A-Sun champion makes a run at this thing. But uh, but that to me, that's what makes it so exciting because the road to the final four it, it does it does have a path out of Jacksonville. I uh, with the you know we have two schools that play Division One basketball and, and normally play it at a very high level. So I you know again I. I've never gotten to experience this in my lifetime, but it's not like JU had this amazing success 100 years ago. Right. I mean, it's happened. You've seen it. Right. You've seen what can happen when one of these programs gets hot. And, yes, it's, it's, it's been some time, but I think it's so cool that, that it, it, the possibility does exist that they could once again have either school – have a tremendous March moment. Yeah, no, no question about it. So, 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 get get out there and support them. By the way, this week we won't be live at the program because, only because we're on the on the road. I can tell you, Ju and UNF are both at home this week. If we were not going to the combine, we would be live at both campuses one day. We'd be live at one of the campuses on Wednesday. We'd be live at the other one on Friday. Probably Hayes the two Stetson games. That we probably would go to the both Stetson games. We probably would be live. 
uh, from 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 UNF Stetson live from JU Stetson is I think the way we would probably play that. So, but get up and watch them if you get a chance. It's an awful lot of fun. The coaches are good dudes. They come on the air with us. The ads are good dudes. The programs they're trying really hard. They're battling and so on. So a bit of a, a fun game the other night. And again, I, I UNF's in good spot. By the way, Chaslin is really good. I wonder now if double running a second defender at him is how people will play that. It's a copycat sport, a copycat world, and I wonder now if that's if other teams will try. And and Matthew Driscoll, who's a darn good coach, now has now will work on that. I wouldn't you imagine? I think now, no doubt about the, it. The blueprint is how do you slow UNF down? Run a second defender at Chaz Lanier. Your UNF, how do you counterpunch? They've got a good staff. They've got a staff that's been together a long time. Steve Perkins and Bobby Kennan and those guys have been with Matthew Driscoll a long time. They've diagrammed an awful lot of good offense over there. And the idea now is, but that, but that's that's the give. Wouldn't you say that's the give and take? So run a second player at the possible, likely uh, ASUM player of the year. And how does UNF counter, knowing or assuming that's probably coming? Absolutely. And here's my prediction: UNF handles it beautifully and yeah. shoots in both games this week. UNF will shoot a combined over 50% from the field. I agree with you. It's not, like, it's not like no one's tried to defend them before. You know, it's not like you haven't been defended before. Right. And I'll say this, in fairness to UNF, say what you want. JU, since Jordan Mincy got on campus, has been really good at home. I, I don't know what their overall home record is. I know the first it's year. It's got to be like 88%. I mean, well, first something year like un- that. First year they're undefeated. Right. This year they're 11 and 1. So, and so last know, year they lost maybe three? Yeah, at something home? like that. Yeah, so, so, JU at home. It's really hard, and I'll give the JU students credit. They are loud. It's a small place. It only holds like 1,700, 1,800. But every seat's taken when those rumbles happen. That whole JU student section, which is across from us, is, is packed. You know, and, and it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard place to play. It's, it's a very small you, – if, you if, you if you're not a JU fan, you probably hate it. You probably hate going in there. You hate how small it is. You hate how loud it is. You know I mean? You, 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 you think it's a high school gym. You don't love it at all. But if you're JU, those guys love it because they love who's coming to see them. So interesting stuff. All right, we'll take a break. Uh, uh, later on, we'll talk more college basketball, a little bit about the SEC, some of the teams, the SEC, college basketball, the Gators. Um, but also I want to get into the, the court storming thing. You know by now that Kyle Filipkowski, the, the terrific Duke player, was injured when the Wake Forest fans stormed the court. Uh, I've got a lot of thoughts about how that went down and what to do about it. We'll get to that coming up later on in the program. But let's talk some combine when we come back, Carlion. Who to watch? Uh, players to have our eye on what the Jaguars might do. A little NFL combine talk. That's after this. Stay with us. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Best Bet Monday on The Frangie Show with fantastic locations in Jacksonville, Orange Park, and now in St. Augustine. It's Best Bet. Ranging in Carline with you. R.J. Saunders here as well. R.J., you watched the uh, documentary, The Greatest Night of Pop, huh? Oh, yeah, I loved it. What would you think? Oh, absolutely loved it. I didn't know that there were that many personalities that were there. And, you know, everyone was gunning for a particular spot, wanted to see if they could do a solo. And just having the calmness that some of those guys had, kind of like a – Stevie Wonder, who was able to be that calm guy to have everybody laugh, really um, take the air out of the room and all of that tension. It was it was a very uh, well made documentary. It was really good. Yeah, Hayes, we talked about it. We talked about so many of the acts there and played some of the songs. You know, we even talked about the fact that Billy Joel was there. Yeah, Steve Perry was there. 
I mean, if you start thinking about it, it was I mean, incredible. I mean, I mean, I mean it was more notable who wasn't there than who was. Like you said, I played Old Rock Thursday, eight of them. There's a tough cut. Billy Joel didn't make the cut last yeah, week. Yeah, I mean, good there, point. There's, I mean, there's Billy Joel didn't make the cut. Yeah. By the way, I heard he was in Tampa this weekend with uh-huh. Sting. I heard it was magnificent. Yeah. I heard. Did you know anybody that went? I did not. Yeah, I heard it was just fantastic. Yeah. Just well, I'm fantastic. sure I he did. was great on the Stern Show uh, a week or two he, ago. Yeah, you told me he is. He's so good. So yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, the I'm glad, RJ. I'm glad you got to watch it. You, you, we told RJ to watch it. He watched it. Hopefully, about now, Lauren is sitting on in Puerto Rico on a beach somewhere with a coconut mm-hmm. and a drink. You gotta have a coconut, don't you? Probably coconut. You have a drink and a coconut. Yeah, like the, or a coconut and a drink. And so mm-hmm. maybe and, there's like a macaw sitting like on her shoulder <laughs> with a macaw watching the greatest night of pop. So hopefully she has she has seen it. Uh, the great Peter King is retiring. I did not get a chance to read the. Did you read it? I did. I did not read. I will read it. I'll read it tonight. I I was in. I had one of those days where you can't slow down. I had a lot sure. of stuff today. I had uh, obviously I, I came and sat in with Mike and and uh, Tony for a while. I had some other radio production stuff to do. I did uh, a couple hits on Channel Four this morning and had a couple walk off meetings. So it was one of those days where you're going, 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 going. But I didn't want to rush through this one. I, I, mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I didn't. Sure, yeah. I didn't want to run Peter King. But Peter King, at age 66, he's one year older than I am. Has been doing it since he was doing this since he was 27. Um, without without spoiling it for me, since I haven't read it yet, but I assume he just told the story of his career. Yes, and uh, it's it is. It's well done. You'll enjoy it, and uh, it's it's been a remarkable run. And you know, it's it's truly the end of I think an era because there's really I would say no one left of consequence like. I don't want to. I don't want this to sound mean to the guys that are still going to be doing it, but like Peter King's always very gracious and has always been very supportive of of younger writers and and really other writers. And that's why I have to be younger. But even like direct competitors. And in this part of it, he he singles out. This is who I would read if if I were you. Right. Like in absence of right. this, this is who. And not no offense to Albert Breer and Mike Sando and you know I. Diane and Rossini, you know, people that he mentions, I mean, they're just, it's just not going to be right. the same. I mean, it just, and I think they would say that. I mean, it's, it's, but that's, that's Peter King of, you know, here's, here's writers that I like. Uh, and, you know, it was, uh, it was how you would res- expect. Uh, he was uh, very respectful, yeah. very honored to have had this opportunity. And, and, you know, he said, I, I really don't know what I'm going to do. He's like, I, I'm not saying this is goodbye. I'm not saying that you'll never see me on anything again. I just know that I I need to find out if I can be bored right. and and what that looks like for me. And so uh, so we'll see where it leads. But yeah, and I will tell you, Hayes, tremendous career. I haven't read it yet, but people our age, mine and his, it goes through your mind. I'm 65 now. Listen, I'm not getting out of any time. I love this. I'm not quitting anytime soon. But but uh, at least I'm not of my volition. <laughs> Right. Um, but I, but I, uh, but I get it. You know, I, 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 you think about that. One thing he said that really jarred me, and I didn't read it, but I skimmed it real quick. Mm-hmm. One thing he said that jarred, and I will read it tonight, that jarred me was one of the things that really made him think is his good friend, Don Banks. Yeah. Um, died at 57 of a heart attack in Canton. Right. And, uh, and, and really made him think how much life's ahead of him. Well, listen. Don and I were way good friends before Don ever met Pete. Uh, we were Don and I came up as, as prep writers together. He in St. Pete, me here in Jacksonville in the mid '80s, and and I uh, and I can tell you when we lost Don Banks, that jarred me too. I mean, it, it, I mean, here's a guy you know, 
that's not far away in age. How long ago did Don? How long? Four or five like years? Twenty seventeen. No, it, it was nineteen. I think two thousand nineteen. So five years ago. So Don would be sixty two now. Right. I'm sixty five now. You know. So I can tell you, it, it jars you. It, it does jar you. And so, uh, so Peter King, the great Peter King, is, is retired from what he's doing now. And you're right. Uh, I got this thing again without reading all of it. I got the same impression you did that he's not. He's not sure what's next. He doesn't mean going away forever is next. He just means he's not doing this anymore, and he'll figure out the next thing. So, so we'll talk more about that. Yeah, I mean, hopefully he'll find some role just in season. Yeah. You know, I mean, that would seem to be the ideal is can he find something where uh, maybe it's not this column, but just some sort of right. something that he does during the season. Um, but then, you know, he doesn't worry about yeah. the league from, you know, February right. to right. July. Because I can know? tell you as a consumer – I'm interested in what Peter King has to say, not just about the league. I'm interested in what he's got to say about books and about baseball and about his favorite beer. I mean, I, I find myself interested in where, where, he, where he's taken me. If, you, if, you, if somebody's in the media and you tend to like them and like where they're taking you, you tend to follow along even when it's not who's going to replace Tyreek Hill, right? Right. And so, and so um, yeah, so, so Peter King uh, retired now. We'll see where, what's next for the great NFL writer. Let's talk some combine. I'm going to get to some specific guys in the combine in a bit. But let's start. How will the Jaguars be perceived? I, I've said this before. I said it to, uh, to, to Joe and Mia and Matt during the handoff. Last year, they were the, they were the rising star. They were the, they were the next big thing. And look out, because here come the Jaguars. Well, that, that perch will be occupied by the Texans this year. This year, the Texans will be the next big thing the rising star and look out for the Texans and we'll see if they handle it. But how will the Jaguars be perceived? Miss their window. Their good year was just a one-off and now they're back to being the Jags or a team that's pretty damn close. They just stumbled a little bit at the end. Where do you see the, the net? We know the local perception. Where do you see the national perception of, of, of the Jaguars in, at the combine? I think it'll be fairly positive because I think the national perspective will be more, well, your quarterback got hurt, was playing hurt, and you know, even though he was still able to get out there, he wasn't really himself, and uh, you know, just kind of a, a series of unfortunate events occurred, and so I, I think the the national perception will be that the Jaguars are still playoff contenders. I, you know, I, I would that's that's where I think it'll be because I, again, I don't know how much the national focus is going to get into the performance of Trent Baalke and Doug Peterson's reliance on Press Taylor and, and you know, are the issues that could exist between Baalke and Peterson and things like that. I, I don't know that there's they're going to get into the meat and potatoes of that. So, um, you know, I, I almost think locally it's probably there's a little bit more skepticism locally than there is probably nationally. Um, so I, I wouldn't think you're going to hear a lot of, oh, it's the same old Jags and, and they're going to be back to being uh, an afterthought. Right. I think the prevailing national theme will be, I think they're more the eight and three than the team that collapsed. They obviously have issues like most teams do. They have to correct, but I think it'll be viewed as, and, and this is true, they have issues, but those issues could certainly be corrected in one off season. Yeah. yeah and I, and I, that's how I feel. That's how we feel here. And I would think that as well. So we'll see. Um, what are they watching? What are they? Lo- I mean, and we don't know till free agency. Is it now your assumption that Josh Allen wears the tag, and that and that Calvin Ridley 
at least officially hits free agency, even if there's a wink-wink deal and he signs immediately after that. Where do you see this thing going? As, as, as we see it here today, yeah, I mean, on the 26th of February, late in the afternoon. It's hard to have a lot of confidence that they're going to get a deal done with Josh Allen prior to because you just haven't you know, really seen anything. Right. Now we haven't been updated publicly in, in a couple weeks now, so obviously tomorrow you know, Trent Baalke is going to be asked at the podium, I'm, you know, and talking to you, he's going to be asked about Josh Allen and Doug Peterson will as well. So, you know, we'll get some indication of, you know, how it's going. And I, and, and hopefully as the week goes on, you know, you'll hear things, you know, we'll be there till Friday. So even though Peterson and Baalke are talking Tuesday, you know, there will be, by the time we get to Friday, we could be hearing things Friday morning that shift our opinion on where this thing is headed. But I, I would imagine it's tag Josh Allen and hope to get a deal done with Ridley once the market opens. I just I think that's the poor way to play it is, you know, I've mentioned many times, but I but I, I think that is where it's headed, unfortunately, because I don't think that's what's best for business. Yeah. I, so so we'll see. You'll get asked about that a little given all of that. I've and you and I have kind of agreement on this. It's not this black and white. There's gray areas here, but in the perfect world, I know at least we share this opinion. I shouldn't say that. I don't put words in your mouth, but I know I think this, and I think you do too. Get your bulk in free agency, and use the draft to supplement your skill offensively and defensively. More specifically, get alignment on each side of the ball in free agency and get a corner and a receiver in the draft. Now, I know it's not that, that cut and dried, but is that still where, you, that's where I am? Is that kind of where you are? I think it, it, it almost has to be where you are just simply because of the depth in the market, the free agent market at guard and center. Uh, I mean, there's no reason that they shouldn't be able to sign, uh, and this isn't counting Ezra Cleveland, who I, I think is, is going to come back, but to me, if, if they do decide to move on from Sheriff, you know, and we'll find out a little bit more about that tomorrow, because uh, I thought he'd be cut for cap purposes, but maybe maybe he won't be uh, in light of the cap going up. Maybe that'll give them some pause. But uh, but certainly center guard, if you're in the market there in free agency, you're in really good shape. So I have to believe that whatever interior offensive line improvement they want to make, that will be made in free agency. There's just nothing at corner in free agency, and I do think they need to invest in it, and certainly receiver, uh, if you don't get Ridley back. And even if you get Ridley back, you know, I think you can make the, the case of it's time. It's time to invest a, a, a quality pick in a receiver, somebody that can grow with Trevor Lawrence. So, uh, yes, I, I absolutely think the interior of the lines are addressed in free agency because that's where the players are. Uh, and in corner and receiver, I just think if you want to upgrade there, you're going to have to do it with premium picks in the draft this yeah. year. And let's be honest here. This is, we've thought about this forever. This is, you're in your window period. You're in, I mean, this is, this is it, man. You, you have a good team. You're a couple, I won't say a few players away, but a few areas away that honestly, maybe this is a year you go get Kevin Dotson. He's a veteran guy. You know, maybe, maybe this is a year. Who knows, right? I mean, maybe this is a guy you go get. I, mean, I think there's five or six Kevin guards Zeitler you could go get. Yeah, right? I mean, I I think there's five or six guards that absolutely would make a bunch of sense. I think there's probably four to five centers 
uh, that would make a bunch yeah. of sense, and that number could grow is uh, is is cap casualties start to come in. So yeah, I I, I honestly I think they're in pretty good shape there. Uh, my concern would be I think they need some edge help. Uh, and to me, to me, they need edge that you're not going to be able to probably get in free agency. They need corner. You're not going to be able to probably get that in free agency at the level you need. And they need receiver, and you may not be able to get that. So, I, you know, on one of those three between receiver, edge, and corner, which of those do you feel like you can get best addressed with the comp pick in the third round? My guess is it's going to be receiver. So I would think corner at 17 because they might have the pick of the board uh, the way it looks like it's going to line up. I I would think edge maybe second round. Yeah. Uh, and I would think, you know, you're looking at probably a late third receiver. But, again, that's going to be a really good player. Receiver is incredibly deep. Uh, and, again, it's, it's, a, it's a position that the, the Jaguars don't need somebody to come in and be a star. They need somebody that can come in, be a good – rotational kind of player with the idea of in year two, year three, that player can become a star. Yeah, we'll see what winds up happening. We'll take a break. Uh, we've got a Duval County Scholar-Athlete coming up in the uh, uh, 4 o'clock hour. We're also going to talk a little bit about some of the players at the Combine, our thoughts on some of the local guys, area guys, for sure. We'll certainly get to that. And uh, I thought, too, about court storming coming up in the next hour as well. This is a, a lot to do. Glad you're with us. 1010XL 92.5 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. And now, this week's Scholar Athlete of the Week, brought to you by Southeast Orthopedic Specialists and the Plumbers and Pipefitters Local Union 234 on 1010XL. It is time for our Duval County Scholar Athlete of the Week. It's Travis Hardy from Fletcher who joins us now on the program. Travis, how are you, man? I'm good. How are you guys? I'm doing great. Good to see you. Uh, you are involved in tennis and diving. Let's start with diving because I think that's kind of your go-to. How did you get involved? Obviously, swimming as a kid. Tell me tell me how that whole thing, you went from swimming to diving being your main thing. Yeah, so my family, my mom's side is all swimmers, and then my brother did diving, and I wanted to be better than him, so I did it too. Are you? Yes. Good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he gave up and like he, his last year was eighth grade, yeah, and then yeah. I just took off running with so, it. So, so tell me about diving. What, what what makes it special? What makes it cool for you? Um, I like diving because it's like there's a athletic feature to it, but then it's also a lot of mental stuff, and it, it that accomplishment of completing like a hard dive allows you to like feel proud of yourself almost every time you do it. Very cool. In terms of the dives that you do, what's the most mentally taxing one that you have and what's the most physically taxing one? Probably mentally, I would say like a back two and a half because like you don't really know where you're going and when you're going to do it, I guess. And then physically, probably a front one and a half double twist. It's it's hard. <laughs> How long Sounds do you hard. work on a dive before you feel like it's competition ready? Um, So... <clears throat> It depends on really how good you are. Sometimes you just luck it and get it first try, and then you just tone down for probably a week or so, and it's good. And then sometimes you're working on it for over a year. Like most of my dives this year, actually, from my senior list were pretty hard, so I've been working on those since sophomore year. Very cool. Tell us about tennis a little bit. Tennis, I started last year because a couple okay. of my friends were on it oh, and wow. thought it would be fun. So you like it? I love it. Tennis yeah. is something that, like, it looks super easy, but it's really not, and it's it, it pushes me to want to be better at it. Very cool. 
Yeah, absolutely. Have, uh, in terms of diving, is that something you'll continue to do at the college level? Um, I don't think so. I think <laughs> further in the future, maybe like coaching might might be fun, but not like college diving. Tell me about some of the things you're involved in off uh, away from both academics and uh, diving. Fletcher Marine, tell me about that. Uh, the Garden Club and the Beach Volleyball Club. Tell me about those. So the Marine Club, I'm the historian in it. We basically just go to the beach. We do some beach cleanups. We have sea oat planting, which helps, you know, prevent the, like, houses and infrastructure on shore from, like, hurricanes. And then, you know, cleanups, the beach gets gross because people don't take after themselves sometimes. And so it's good to, like, clean up with the community. And then the garden club is pretty simple. It's gardening. And then there was a, a push to have a co-ed volleyball team really at Fletcher because they have girls' beach volleyball, but guys wanted to play volleyball too. So Coach Bell made a, a co-ed volleyball team, and so like Fridays we'd go out and play beach volleyball at Jarbo Park. Worse things than that. There's worse ways to spend your Friday. Yeah, sure. absolutely. In, in terms of college, what are some schools that you're considering? Um, so Auburn mainly is my number one, and then if I unfortunately don't go there, probably USF. Okay, and when will you find out about Auburn? It said early March. Okay. So what do you right around to, the corner. Yeah, what do you want to study? What's the plan Aerospace down the road? Aerospace engineering. Wow. Tell me about why and where do you want that to take you? Um, so aerospace engineering, planes and air stuff has always really been in my in my past. Like my dad was in the military, so I hope to further like joining the military and I want to be a pilot and hopefully aerospace engineering can help me get a job post military. Oh, wow. So you want to be a pilot. The goal is to be a pilot. Yes, sir. Has it always been? I mean, obviously your dad was in the military, so you were exposed to it early on, right? Yeah, I'd say since like sixth or seventh grade, I've wanted to be a pilot. So not like always, but yeah, yeah. pretty recently. Yeah. Very cool. Love being in the air, whether it's diving or, <laughs> or flying, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. All right. Final thing. You're a good student. Uh, you got to be a good student to go to do what you want to do in college. Uh, how do you manage your time? Tell us about because obviously you're involved in a bunch of clubs. You play two sports, swimming and diving. I, I'm told that they never stop practicing. So how yeah. do you manage it all? Um, you know, I what's funny is if I told you I got like nine hours of sleep, would you believe me? Yeah. <laughs> no. So on top of that, I have a job too. But it's usually just taking it one step at a time. Trying to get rid of distractions helps yeah. a lot. Um, like. Even if you want to go out with your friends, it's hard to sacrifice that. But to keep your main goals and path, you gotta you gotta sacrifice those things. So just studying a lot helps. Doing your homework, and then have that time to have that time to go play your sport, practice your sport, and do that stuff outside of you know schoolwork. And that that allows you to stay mentally focused on all of them. Well, sounds like you are. You've done a great job, Travis Hardy from Fletcher a diver and a member of the tennis team, our Duval County Scholar Athlete of the Week. Congratulations, man. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. All right. Travis Hardy from Fletcher High School, a terrific Duval County Scholar Athlete of the Week. And, again, he's involved, obviously, an extremely good diver, uh, involved in tennis as well, hopes to go to Auburn, wants to be a pilot. That, the aerosmith, the, the, the aeronautics thing, we have a lot of student athletes. You notice that? Yeah. There's a lot of that. It's really awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's fantastic. It's a great career path. And, you know, I mean, they're – it, it, it's amazing how sharp all these kids are. I, I mean, they really are. And uh, it's, uh, it's always a lot of fun to, to get to know them. Yeah, it really is. So we appreciate Travis Hardy stopping by. Uh, no question about that. All right, some other football we want to get to coming up. I'm going to talk about court storming, but I'm going to wait till next segment because i got a lot to say about that. So I'll get to that coming up uh, a little bit later on. The combine means meeting your buddies in the media. The combine means talking to coaches. You know what else I like about it? We'll talk more about this tomorrow. 
one were there and, and Wednesday and Thursday. The combine's a calm time. You notice that? Mm-hmm. Everybody's undefeated. It's different than the SEC media days. Because SEC media days, everybody's excited, but man, they're ready to go now. They got mm-hmm. the suits and ties on. Yeah. They know they're getting back on campus. They got about a day and then they're practicing. I mean, you go to you go to media, not just SEC media days, but you go to any of these media days, it's on. Mm-hmm. You would this it's the last vestige before it gets serious, right? This is totally different. The vibe, coaches will be in jeans and and, and hoodies, right? I mean, I I, I kinda I mean I like both, but I, I like the vibe at the combine. I always have. Yeah, it's it. I would say it's very relaxed. Um, and and again, I think good information comes out of the combine, not just at the podiums on the record, but certainly, you know, the stuff that that you hear from people that cover other teams, and you get you know a good perspective. You know, like like we'll have a really good idea of where the Texans are, and the Colts are, and the Titans are, and what their plans look like, and. And it's the same, you know, obviously we get, you know, we get asked a lot about the Jaguars and, uh, and, and what we think they're going to do. So it's, it's just a great, uh, information sharing. Uh, and, and again, I mean, this is where the, the off season is going to get hammered out in the next four, four or five days in Indy. That's I mean, right. you know, basically we understand the, the quote legal tampering doesn't begin until like 48 hours before the new league year, but all the deals pretty much get done in Indianapolis. So um, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're going to hear a lot of good chatter and my experience is it's not all true, but the majority of it is true. Yeah. And I tell people this all the time about it, Hayes. It's a, it's a convention, but the convention happens at night. It's not a daytime convention and the convention happens at the bars and at the restaurants. And that's when the convention, now a lot of times that's how conventions are. But there's not a lot of strategizing during the day because you're talking to players and, and you're testing and you're watching. And, the, and our friend Kevin Kaplan's going to stop by and talk about, all about the, the, that part of it. So there's a lot of other things that go on in addition to the convention stuff where you gab. The gab fest is at night, and I think it's, I think it's awesome. And, and every, by the way, the, you know, I, I've said this before too. You know who loves this? The assistant coaches love it. Head coaches like it too, but they're all they're recognizable. So every time you see a head coach, oh wow, that's so and so, that's Andy Reid. That's you know the, the head coaches are very easy to find. The assistants are not. They can kind of travel incognito. You ever notice mm-hmm, that? Sure. They'll yeah. travel incognito. You know, you'll go into Prime or you'll go into Elmo's. You'll go somewhere, and there will be a table of eighteen, and they all look like they all the football player look. They'll their mm-hmm. football coach look to them. But they're that that's probably I've had some coaches tell me. It may be their fun, other than when they used to go to the Pro Bowl in Hawaii. Right. It might be their most fun week of the year. Yeah, I think so. And and again, it's it's why so much information does come out because these teams are they're far enough along into their off seasons. I mean, you know, obviously the Chiefs and 49ers, it's it's a little bit newer uh, than it is for teams that miss the tournament. But you know, look, I mean, if you're if you're a team like the Jaguars who missed the playoffs, I mean, you've had seven weeks to collect your thoughts, evaluate, you know, exactly what happened, put some emotional distance from it and make what you hope are objective, clear minded decisions on this is where the club needs to go. This is what improvements need to happen. And I think you make a good point. The fact that you're still months and months and months away from training camp, it's almost like those conversations can be shared a little bit because you don't feel like you're in the combat zone. 
There was a time that sports, not just college sports, there was a time sports wasn't a full-time job. There was a time when, when, when high school and college coaches coached another sport, or that sport wasn't a full-time job. There was a time when, when way back when, Major League Baseball players, pro footballers, had jobs in the offseason because their, 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 their job was only three months, and they, they made money but not enough money to not, to not go sell insurance. It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. But, but, and, and this is way before your time or even my time, but that's the word is back in the day you had another job. And so, so coaches forever, the offseason wasn't the grind that it is now. Now it really never stops. I, I think most coaches in college and in the NFL would tell you there's probably June, probably – and I think in college isn't May even an evaluation I was going to say, I don't know in college if you have any windows. Yeah, now. yeah, not hardly any. Well, I mean, I know they have dead periods, but – But they're still – yeah, right. You probably still have portals open. Yes, and- yes. But, uh, but I, think May, I think May and June, the last mini camp, the, the, the mandatory mini camp till the beginning of camp is a little window for the pro guys. And, but there's not much of one, so it's a grind. So when they get together and there's a convention and they're laughing and joking and telling stories, uh, it's kind of a fun thing, so good for them. Let's take a break. Court storming all the rage. You know by now Kyle Filipkowski got injured, the Duke player. Any update on, by the way, how badly he's hurt? Is there? Is there they a, just said sprained ankle, yeah, so, so I would so imagine he's going to be fine. But, uh, but it, it certainly happened to Caitlin Clark not long ago as well. We all have thoughts about it. Hopefully our thoughts are – are a little different. Most of them, I think, are the same peg, but we'll talk about it right after this. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Best Bet Monday on The Frangie Show with fantastic locations in Jacksonville, Orange Park, and now in St. Augustine. It's Best Bet. It's 9 o'clock on a Saturday. Billy Joel was in Tampa over the weekend along with Sting. I talked to a number of people that went, and the show was just spectacular, I'm told. 23 songs from Billy. And uh, he's a guy I could – now, Hayes, that's a guy I could never see too much. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean I've seen Springsteen in Chicago more because that was their go-to. But I've probably seen Billy Joel, if not ten times close to it, there's nothing like the Billy Joel show. And there was nothing like the Billy Joel show in the garden. Yeah. But there's nothing like the Billy Joel show. Yeah, I'd love to see him uh, before it's uh, it's all done. So hopefully that'll yeah. happen because, yeah, obviously an iconic performer. All right. So um, the court storming, you know by now, Wake Forest, they were the favored team, by the way, in the game. They were. They were favored. Wake Forest beats Duke. They stormed the court. Kyle Filipkowski gets injured. Then you see all the stuff on social media. Did he try and trip the kid? Did he did he instigate it? Well, let me put a stop to that pretty quickly. That's his domain, not theirs. If you break into somebody's home, they can do whatever they want. Let me be very clear about that. Oh, did he try and trip the kid? It was his house, and someone broke into his house. That's how I see that. So there's nothing he could have done wrong at that point. Secondly, what is the purpose of the court storming? What do we, I mean, I understand where kids get excited. I, I'm not blaming – I'm not saying every student that wants to storm a court is wrong. I'm not saying that. What I am saying, though, is 
what, on what ground should we not put a stop to it? We are in the age of safety has never been as big a concern as it is now in sports. CTE is such a concern. You can't touch quarterbacks now. You can't throw at hitters now. Uh, a flagrant one, a flagrant two, college basketball even has rules for when you do something harmful to somebody. There's more rules about preventing harmfulness than there's ever been in sports. I'm surprised boxers are still allowed to punch each other. I mean, because that's, that's where we are, right? There, there's more rules than there's ever been to prevent injury in sports. It, we just, we've just never had this. So all of a sudden, oh, by the way, we're going to let 100 students or more run onto a court? Well, it's crazy. We've lost our mind. And I'm not trying to be old, get off my lawn guy. But this one, I hope Cal Filipkowski isn't hurt badly. But I'm almost glad it happened. And if he's not hurt badly and it does, if he's not hurt at all and it has no effect on his career, then I am glad it happened. Then I'm glad both the Caitlin Clark and this one happened. Because this one should be enough now. This, we now have put a stop to it. it. It now should be over. It's not hard to stop. My alma mater doesn't allow it. Period. Not going to happen. End of conversation. In football, it's pretty easy. Give me some cops and some horses. Could you put the cops and the horses out there? No one's coming on the field. Basketball, give me about 20 security guards or policemen lining around and nobody's coming out. Again, we act like, whew, we have this horrible dilemma, but there's just no way to put it into it. Well, this is one you can. This is one you can stop pretty easily. Put some cops out there and tell them, grab anybody that runs onto the court. Now, some student's going to run onto the court, and a cop's going to grab them, and someone's going to get mad at the cop because he manhandled the student. So I, we know that's coming. But this is an easy one to stop, and I'm a little bit incredulous that we're here we are sitting in February of 2024 and we haven't stopped it. What was so crazy about the Duke-Wake Forest court storming is that they called the foul on Condon. Um, but, uh, um, and I like the fact that you've been waiting the whole, <laughs> the whole segment to go there and you were very patient. So yes. It was well-planned and very Thank patient. You. So I appreciate timing. that. Um, and, uh, I amuse myself. What can I say? Like um, I said, you don't have to be funny. Yeah. I don't have to be funny. I just need to make me laugh. I'm right. <laughs> right. With you. I, you know, I think it's, that's the thing. It's, it's about the institution and does the institution want it to happen? Florida doesn't, so it doesn't happen. Um, and, and there are other schools where it doesn't. Um, I think there's, there's some schools that encourage it. It seemed like this was one where I, it certainly wasn't I remotely tried to, to be contained. And you have to know going in, you're playing Duke. Obviously, they're the cream of the crop in the ACC. So if you get that win... Uh, particularly where Wake Forest is. I mean, they they were on the right side of the bubble, but this is a huge win for them. Uh, and like you said, they are favored. They have a good team, but uh, you have to be aware of the moment. Uh, I guarantee you there will be more security on hand at Exact Tech when Alabama is playing Florida right. than there would be when they're playing Vandy. Um, so you have to know, okay, what's what's the environment? and you And you know that days going in. So you, you need to have the, the increased police presence. Um, and, yeah, I mean, look, we, we, certainly we live in a, a safety-conscious world, as you mentioned. We also live in a very litigious world. And there is going to be a massive lawsuit, potentially, that comes out of an athlete getting hurt uh, 
because fans rush the court. And I don't think it's going to be this instance, but it, it will eventually happen. It's it's one of those things that it, it's it's up to the university. You can't put it on the TVs and say, well, you know, the TV shouldn't show it. Well, I mean, it's they're going to show it. It's it's happening right as the game ends. So, you know, what are they going to do? Go to studio? Is is I mean, so it's it's on the schools and it's on the conferences. The SEC has put in a, a very hefty fine that some schools have had to pay and and. Uh, again, the money is getting so big that I think a fine, uh, while needing to be on the table, something else needs to be on the table, a, a, a harsher punishment um, in terms of something competitive that hurts the, the school, for schools that, that have this happen. But it all comes down to if the school doesn't want it to happen, it won't happen. That's the thing. And see, two things. Number one. Yes, the fi- what's the fine? A hundred grand from the SEC? I think for first offense. Okay. Make yeah. it five hundred grand. Make the first offense five hundred grand. These hey, these power five schools can afford it. Make it five hundred thousand. That w- I promise you. Then for five hundred thousand dollars, and it goes to your arch rivals NIL. Yeah, yeah really. <laughs> well, but number one, the second thing I've heard the com- the people that really want to put some teeth in this thing have suggested that the competitive thing is lose a home game. You're, you, in other words, the next home game you play is now played at the – and it's not a switch. So so the next home game Wake Forest plays, instead of go, instead of it being home against North Carolina, you got to go to Chapel Hill. And you lose the money. You lose the chance to win the game. I think there's something to that one. Yeah. I, I would you – lose, you lose a home game, and that game now has to be played on your uh, – your, you say, what if the opponent's arena isn't available? The opponent will make the arena available. Absolutely. If all of a sudden you're getting the home game. But, again, the big picture. And you would probably put it on next year's. Right. It probably wouldn't be something you do right. a matter of days. It, you know, it would probably be, look, you know, next season yeah. we're going to dock you a home game. Right. And so, but in addition to the 500000 in addition to the dock and the home game, which are two punitive actions that I think would probably have, have some effect, I think it would change the behavior. What you want your The whole point of punitive action is to be a deterrent to to it happening again in the future, and I think it would. I think that would happen. But the larger point, and I started the segment with this: you don't lose anything by stopping it. It's not like these students miss out on an opportunity that's part of college life. It's not. It's not like well, you're depriving students of the joy of being a college student. No, you're not. That was never in the bro. That was never in the pamphlet. Of all the things that were in the brochure storming the court after your team wins is not in there. And so, I mean, there's a lot of things that if you take it away, the student is denied something they have a right to expect. This is what's so confounding about this one, Hayes. That's not in play. Nobody, nobody, you don't have a right to go run onto the court. I've never stormed a field as a Gators fan, and I don't feel like I've missed a single iota of fun. And, And listen, I'm probably guilty because I got rolled one time with Florida LSU game in 97. They stormed the field. I got kind of knocked over as a media guy. But I thought it was funny. I probably – and I probably fed the beast a bit by laughing about it. But it didn't bother me. The kid that ran me over kind of said he was sorry. I mean, I got knocked down and picked up my briefcase and giggled a little bit and got off the field, you know. So, but, but I, so, I, so again, I probably – I fed this a little unintentionally. But now, now it's enough. So – would you be? I would be surprised now if there's not some statement from some national body. Again, the problem in college athletics is there really isn't a national spokesperson. 
But if nothing else, doesn't Jim Phillips at the ACC have to come out? Doesn't he? Doesn't he have to come out and say, "Listen, listen, that 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 that's enough." From now on, the fine's five hundred thousand starting today, and the fine is if you do it again, you lose a home game starting today, and we are never. And you better not allow it, or or, or even more teeth in it. But wouldn't you be a little surprised if there's not a statement from somebody in somebody's hierarchy, starting with the ACCs, like now? I'm surprised we haven't heard it yet. Yeah, and that, and that's the thing. I I think it will be something that, and the ACC should get it out first because they're going to look really bad when other conferences beat them to this, yes, since it yes, was yes. kind of their thing. But I uh, but yeah, I I absolutely think you're going to see stronger uh, penalties put in as you should, and uh, I, I I would expect. And the ACC's got their hands full, uh, from my understanding, with some some legal stuff going on. Um, but uh, but they're going to have to make time to strengthen this because it was it was such a you know and it wasn't even a buzzer beater I mean it was like they couldn't even control it I mean I think Duke lost by four I mean so but poor Duke they couldn't I said poor Duke boy I never thought I'd say that but poor Duke like couldn't even like sometimes you can kind of get your guys off that's right you know before the the madness comes yeah. uh, I mean they were on top of them as soon as the buzzer went off it, yeah. it was a bad scene and and Wake Forest should do better and and again, the yeah. league should insist on its members having a better policy. And this will be crazy a little bit. I'm, I'm not going to defend Wake Forest, but until now, until the Caitlin Clark and the Philipkowski thing, it probably hadn't gotten enough attention in the mainstream media and the mainstream world. It probably and that's nobody's fault. There's other things to talk about, and I say mainstream media, social media. The, it now will have proper attention. And it's a shame that the Caitlin Clark thing didn't do it, right? But but it didn't. It, I mean, people saw that, chuckled about it, moved on. Well, they're not doing that now. And it's not just because it's a male basketball player, not a female. I don't think that's it. I think it's more because it's a, it's a star for the second time. And I think it happening for the second time. We'll, we'll, so we'll see. We'll see if some teeth go into it. I'll say this. Jeremy Foley's the one that said he's never going to let it happen. And, and so he was a little bit ahead of his time. I'm trying to think of the court stormings or field stormings that stand out the most to me. Who's now? Um, I'm trying to remember now. Now in 1984, Florida did it when they beat Georgia here. Right. You know that they they they, they took the goalposts and right. and ran down the ran down the road with them. I think. What other ones? I'm trying to think. If there's any ones of significance that we've seen. I mean, I can't remember Florida State ever storming a field. Doesn't sound like because because they, they expect to win. Exactly. Well, one thing by the way, one thing about storming the field, right, is you have to kind of be the underdog. Yeah. Or in Wake Forest, in this instance, wasn't the underdog, but they're the underdog program. Correct. It might just not have been the underdog that day. Yeah. You kind of have to be a bit of an underdog. When's FSU been an underdog? Right. And you know, I mean, again, so I I don't think it's really been a problem for the schools that we cover because. They're, you know, largely they're they're winning programs, but I, you know, it, it is it is something that they've they've got to get it out of the game, and it's you don't have to arrest everybody that runs on the court, and you know you don't have to expel everybody that that comes on the court. That you simply need to to beef up your police presence, and that's going to save you way more money than paying the fines. And I do like the competitive taking a home game away making the fine maybe you do create a pool of maybe the 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 fine pool instead of well instead of handing you a check for 
49 million, we'll hand you a check for 48 and a half million because we're going to keep the 500 grand. Make it some NIL thing where it goes to that's right an, an, an NIL pool of of the other teams in your conference exactly. that or even the other team that was there that day. Sure, or, yeah, exactly. Whoever was uh, was the victim in it. So, but it it would not be hard to get rid of it, um, and it, it probably is. And in, in the in the society that we live in today, probably is best to go ahead and, and remove yeah. it. And, and I'll say this final thought on it: I'm not defending the kids, the students, but I think. The adults have to make the rules and, and to set the policy. And by not having a policy against it and not having the court lined with policemen, you are almost kind of encouraging. Now, it's kind of a wink-wink encouragement, but you're, you're, you're almost kind of saying, you know, you know it, it, you're almost kind of— Yeah, I mean, your PA guy yeah. needs to be instructed right, to yeah. warn, you know, with 30 seconds. Whenever, whenever it right. looks like right, the, it's, uh, it's getting dicey. You know, you gotta you gotta instruct your PA announcer to you know continually remind the crowd they are not allowed on the playing surface. When you're watching We're the Millers, which is way funnier than given credit for. Oh, like it's one of the, yeah, one, very right? underrated. Oh, very underrated comedy. We're the Millers is making this segment. I never thought I'd see that. We're the Millers <laughs> is making a segment, but you know, right at the end when um, Sudeikis, the the FBI dude's got to take him into, but he doesn't really want to, mm-hmm. so he says. I've got to take you in now, but first I'm going to turn around and hug my family. <laughs> right? Which is a great scene, yeah. really. And so he's encouraging him to haul ass. Right. Okay. Well, we're kind of doing that, but with these courts, we're saying, well, we're not going to have cops there. And it is an upset. Now, you can't really storm the court, but we're not really going to do much to stop you. Aren't you kind of encouraging it? You are. The, the, the only way it happens is if it's encouraged to happen. That's, that's, that's it. Right. That's right. It's not a hard problem to solve. Right. It's just you have to have the, the motivation yeah. to keep it from happening. Yeah. No, no, and, and again, Florida's no, not the only example, but they're the uh, easiest right. one because, they've, A, they've been good in basketball and they've been good in football. I've, you know, it, and they're not good in football now, but they have right. been traditionally. And you just, you've never seen it because they've put the resources into making sure it doesn't happen. And it's been communicated to fans. You know, it's it's communicated every time you go to a Florida event. But certainly a school that when you're playing that kind of high-profile spotlight game, you've got to be prepared. And, uh, and and Wake wasn't. Yeah, by the way, someone just said, what if, if you storm the court, you forfeit the win you just had? I don't like that. Well, I, I, I don't think you'll ever do that. But that would put a stop yeah. to it. Well, I mean, now, I th- that would admit – the first time someone forfeits a game, it would never happen again. I, I don't like again, it either, but I'm just yeah. telling you, it would never happen again. I, I think I think threatening the athletic department with heavier fines and the loss of future home games would be enough for them to say, "All right, we're going to hire the the uh, the manpower we need to make sure this does not occur on our watch." Two people have sent me a tweet that said Florida State stormed the field after beating Florida two years ago. I don't think did they. Well, two different people sent it to me, so they must have. So, but uh, I, I don't remember that after. Not li- last year. The game was in Gainesville. The last year, the, I did. Two really, people, two people tweeted. I don't remember. Was that, it like I, a? I mean, five people ran on the field, uh, or was it like Alabama, Tennessee, where they took the goalpost and and kneeling and <laughs> dropped it in the river? <laughs> they dropped it in the Tennessee River. I don't know, but thank you for sending those. I didn't realize that, but it's yeah, two, I didn't remember. Two different that. people have sent me that about a minute or two apart, so maybe they did. We'll take a break. More in a moment. This is 1010XL and 92.5 FM. 
The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Welcome to the Hotel California. It's a Best Bet Monday on The Frangie Show with fantastic locations in Jacksonville, Orange Park, and now in St. Augustine. It's Best Bet. All right, Carline, speaking of the Hotel California, I can always tell a story on a song. You know that, don't you? Absolutely. If you knew that or not. We're talking about court storming, field storming. I've never done it. But when the Eagles, Don Henley, Glenn Fry, Joe Walsh, Timothy B. Schmidt, and Don Felder came to town in 1979, maybe early 80, Gainesville, Florida, in Alachua County, storm the field really not really i uh they were on the field yeah when the concert was over i want now does that count no thanks all right <laughs> but it's a good story it, 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 it happened i hear yeah. hotel california it was the hotel california tour and so i it's the closest i've ever come to storm on the field is it was buffett open for him how about that Whew. that wasn't any good was it wow. buffett opening for the eagles in 1980 Pretty good. That is pretty good. Uh, at that, uh, the uh, the, and I remember it being great. I also remember that I don't particularly remember what state I was in. <laughs> <laughs> this was nineteen eighty. Just uh, so you know that. So there you go. So that's that. Does so, that uh, one rank high on funnest concerts? Oh yes, it does. Yeah, yeah that, that, we're real high. I mean that that, that one's yes. I mean yes. <laughs> Again, what I. Best I can remember. Yeah, and uh, no, it was 1980. It's not like yeah. it was last week, but right, uh, yeah. oh yeah, that was, and and back then, back then preparation was all all oh, the rage. Yeah. Preparation. When you're in college, it was all about the preparation. Um, what do you make of Riley Kugel? I mean, what, what do you, I mean? Remember, this guy yeah. was he was their best player last year when mm-hmm. Castleton got out. Their leading scorer down the stretch. He was Florida's. He was preseason All SEC. They're only named five. He was one of the five preseason All-SEC guys. He's still on the Florida basketball team, which is a very good team, by the way. They have this really good team. I mean, they're going to the NCAA tournament. They might even win a couple games. This could be a second weekend team, which means they, which means if that happens, they finish as one of the 16 best teams in America among the 300-plus that are playing. Yet here's this guy that was a preseason All-SEC performer it's become an, an afterthought. It's not like he – there's no suspension. It's not like he – there's off-court problems, at least that we know of. He just – he started out as a starter. Then he became the sixth man. Then he sort of became the seventh man. Now he plays a little here and there. He came in early in the game the other day. What did he play the other day? Six minutes. Six minutes yeah. before that. And that's the most he's played in a few games. What happened to Riley Kugel? What I think has happened to Kugel, who is uh, uh, fifth right now in, on the team in scoring, he's at 9.8 points a game. I mean, again, just astounding if you had said before the season that Riley Kugel would be the, the fifth highest scorer on this team. Uh, but, I mean, he's been pushed aside. And I, I still hope that Kugel can, can deliver some performances down the stretch that are memorable uh, and I hope that, that he gets more of an opportunity. I think what's hurt him is last year, the Florida basketball team, I think collectively wasn't a very smart team and didn't have a lot of 
instincts. So the fact that Riley doesn't have great instincts, I don't think that really showed up. And and he is a great playmaker. So if Riley Kugel's on a team with others that don't have great instincts, then you know I, I think it's it's harder to see his faults. I think what's happened is Todd Golden has built a very smart team, uh, a team with fantastic instincts. When you talk about Pullen and Clayton, and you know to some level Richard, although I I I think Pullen and Clayton are at elite level uh, instinctually and from a on court intelligence. And I think it's just caught up to him. I mean, I I think really across the board, you look at, I think Samuel's a smart player. I think you know the two freshmen Condon and uh, Hauk. I think show uh, strong signs of instincts for being young players. Han Logden, same thing. So I think he's just gone from being on a team that kind of had a low basketball IQ, so it didn't really matter, to now he's on one where it's accelerated, and I think he's been lost a little bit because of it. Because to me, it's not a talent thing with Kugel. He just looks tentative, and that his instincts aren't as sharp as the other guys on the team. And I think because of that, I guess Todd Golden has just said, listen, these are money moments now. We can't afford to have you out there. It's just it's bizarre that a guy – you just don't see that, a guy with that much talent. But he, but he, but he doesn't have good instincts. Hayes. He, he's not – I'll say this about Will Richard, who doesn't have half the talent Riley Kugel does, but he knows how to play. He's not very athletic. He's a great shooter. He's a standstill shooter is what he does best. But he knows how to play. Those two guards really know how to play. To your point, I um, it's a bizarre circumstance. But and to his credit, Kugel hasn't pouted and jumped in the portal. Now I'm, I doubt he's on the team next year. This is the guy that thought about the NBA. This guy, we we waited a long time to see if he was going to the NBA or if he was coming back to college. Now all of a sudden you look up, and Riley Kugel, for all practical purposes, is is a journeyman on a team. I. I I mean, how many minutes did Aberdeen play in that same game? I would think I'll, I'll pull it up at a 10, it's, so, it seemed like. So, so they have their starting five now, which is Handlogton, Samuel, Richard, and the two guards, Pullen and Clayton. Used to be Kugel and Condon were the first guys off the bench, and they'd both come in three or four minutes into the game. Well, I think they did that the other day. Again, I wasn't watching. I went back and watched. I was playing golf. But didn't they both come in like they normally do three or four minutes in? Yeah, uh, Aberdeen actually ended up with 14 minutes. He was okay. on the floor a little longer than what I thought, um, and uh, and Kugel had six. I mean, to me, that's just six not minutes. that's not sustainable for Florida. Like they're gonna need to harness Riley Kugel. I hope, I really hope Todd Golden. But I don't doesn't, sense that's where it's headed. Yeah, I don't either because Golden seemed like going into the Vanderbilt game when he met with reporters the day prior that you know Kugel had barely played uh, in, in the Alabama game. And so he was asked about it, and he said, yeah, you know, I think we'll see Riley more against Vanderbilt. And so I was expecting a, probably tw- a good 20 minutes because I, I just felt like, you know, that's where it needed to head. And, and I was really surprised that Kugel only played six minutes and, uh, and didn't see any time in the second half of this game. Um, and again, you know, I mean, he had two points, one rebound. Uh, you know, it, he, he did have a turnover, and he just looks – more indecisive with it than every other player on the court. Every other player on the court seems to have a very good idea of what their role is, what is expected of them. Uh, Riley Kugel is the only player of significance for Florida that's shooting under 40% this season. He's at 38.4, right. uh, which you know is, is it's not just 
the worst, it's the worst by a good bit. Uh, Poland and Clayton are, are in well into the 40% range. Uh, and, and so I just, I think, I think it's just been, I think Riley would be probably the best player on a bad team in college basketball, right, which she was last year and what she probably will be next year. Cause I, I would agree. I would think the, I, I would think Todd Golden's message to him would be, it's probably time for yeah, yeah. you to find your next spot and you know, wherever that is. But I, I, I do think because to me, will Richard's too inconsistent to just say we're going to give him 31 minutes a game, no questions asked. Now he played well the other day against Vandy. He was 21 points, five of nine, shooting the three, uh, and he was better on the boards than he was against Alabama. When I thought it was a disgrace that he had one rebound in 39 minutes on the court, um, while all the other Alabama guards had such big nights on the glass. So I, I still think they need some element of Kugel to really hit their full potential. Maybe they'll find it. Uh, you know, again, Missouri Wednesday night, that should be a game that Florida will be a big favorite in. So maybe Kugel, they Golden feels like he has a little bit of an opportunity to work him in more then. And, and again, to your point, it's up to Riley too. I mean, he's got to go earn those minutes and uh, he's got to take what's happened to him in these last two games as a challenge if he wants to be part of the nitty gritty because Florida's getting ready to play some gigantic basketball games. I mean, forget the regular season. I mean, you're talking about this is going to be a team that there will be there will be people that believe they can make a run in the SEC SEC tournament. To your point, I I think you will see a lot of experts, you know, when when they who's your sleeper team this That's year? Right. I think team. you're going to hear a lot of Florida. Yeah, yeah. Well, and again, it's already been said the last thing the one seeds want is them to be an 8. Because that means you get him on the second week, or the second game. So, so we'll see what winds up happening. Interesting stuff. I do want to thank our friends from the Best Bet. Always the Best Bet Monday around here. It's our only day in town. We head to Indianapolis. Best Bet Monday. How about this week? Leap Day at all Best Bet locations. That's February 29th in the leap year. They're giving away $29,000 in high hands. That is from 2 p.m. all the way to midnight. Great things are always happening at the Best Bet. One hour to go in the program on a Monday. This is 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. Here, that means it's time for more football. Football. Football at 5. 5 o'clock somewhere. On the Frangie Show. In Carline, R.J. Saunders with you. Lauren Brooks is on vacation. She'll be back uh, a week from today. Did you at any point today see uh, Taylor Dahl from Mandarin High School? I just briefly she's saw here. her. She's in I the car, n- so I know she's listening. Yeah. So she's going to think she's always listening. Uh, did you see how sad she looked? No. What happened? She had, a very, she had sadness in her face. And Taylor, I know you're listening. You'll support me on I'm this. so sorry to hear that. She looked as sad as, as anyone could be. She got word, I think. From uh, inside sources, mm-hmm. that the Bears in, indeed are moving on from Justin Fields. Really? She looked at, no, she looked devastated. She did. I'm going to call in tomorrow night to Helmets and Heels and ask her if she's okay. Good. She, she looked devastated. I, but I, I mean, you can't. I mean, there's there's no world in which the Bears cannot take Caleb Williams. I, that's my you you cannot run the risk. Uh, see, people passed on Patrick Mahomes. Nine teams did. I get it. 
and they're kind of all nine are kind of getting beat up for it. This one among those. But in fairness to them, nobody knew Patrick Mahomes. Nobody believed Patrick Mahomes might become Patrick Mahomes. Nobody, nobody thought this was in play. They thought he might be pretty good. He was the 10th pick of the draft. Big arm guy, who knows? But nobody saw this. Nobody saw John Elway and Dan Marino and Tom Brady, who also happened to be a good runner, all tied into it. Nobody saw that. Well, with Caleb Williams, you do kind of see it. That may not happen, but you kind of do see it. And Hayes, there's no way, no possible way that the that the Bears can pass on Caleb Williams and be the team that passed on Patrick Mahomes when people know he might be that, right? I mean, right. So, I mean, you, there's no possible way you can do that. Now, whoever, and this was whoever picked first, because if you pick first, you probably don't have a quarterback. Anybody picking first couldn't do that. Well, that's the thing. It's not. It's not really a Justin Fields slight. I think most of the teams in the NFL, if they were in the Bears situation, would take Caleb Williams and trade their starter. I mean, I think here you'd have to think long and hard about it. I mean, I would I would keep Trevor and I would trade the pick. But I would listen to the conversation of, you know, what it would mean to to you know, to to make that deal happen and to select Williams. I I I think if the Dolphins. I mean, if if the Dolphins had somehow made that trade and ended up with the number one pick, I would move on from Tua to take Caleb Williams. I would do it if I was the Lions. I'd move off of Goff, who had a really nice year, uh, led Detroit to the best season they've had in a long time, 30 touchdowns, 12 picks. I would I would trade Goff and and take Caleb Williams. I So I, I don't think it's – it's not like – Justin Fields is the only starter in the NFL that would be in this situation. It's just that Chicago is yeah. the one that made the trade with Carolina, and 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 they're reaping the benefit of that, and and that they now have the chance to to draft a really special prospect in Caleb Williams. You have to do it for all the reasons we've talked about. You don't really know where Fields is. You have to start committing big money to him now. So why not go ahead and move him? Start fresh with Caleb Williams, who probably is going to be better. It's not a guarantee, but the probability tells you that he will probably be the superior NFL player. And he's cost-controlled for a minimum of three years before you can touch his contract. So it just gives you so much more of flexibility, and it probably gives you the better player. So it's a no-brainer to do it. But I don't don't think anybody that's a fan of Justin Fields should feel like, well, this is – Right. Betraying Justin Fields like he's not a very good player. I think there's, I honestly, I think there is a big number of teams that if they were in Chicago situation, they would move their starter and take Caleb Williams. And I'm gonna go through. I'm gonna go through the teams. Tell you what I would do. Lamar Jackson, no. Josh Allen, uh, the Ravens, no. Bills, no. Bengals, no. Browns, I would. I would. I would. I would absolutely them. take I'd Caleb Williams because I don't know what you got with Deshaun Williams. The Broncos, obviously, yes. Texans, no. Colts. I would take Caleb Williams. I probably would too. I probably would too. So I'm gonna count how many would say I probably would. And that's no knock on Anthony, but I'm just being honest. I would take him. So I've got Browns one. I'm going alphabetical order in the AFC first. Browns one, Broncos two, Colts three, Jags no, I wouldn't. Chiefs obviously I wouldn't. Raiders yes four, Chargers no, I wouldn't. Dolphins I wouldn't. You say you would, I wouldn't. But uh, okay. you'd rather have Tua, huh? 
Yeah, because he's because I it's it's not like Caleb's proven yet. I would I would and I don't and I'm not a Tua guy, but I'm yeah. just, just for me. I was surprising. Yeah, uh, Patriots obviously yes. Jets no, but Jets are interesting. You'd have to if you're the Jets. You almost would because you only got this guy another year or two. Yeah. Okay. So let's say five six. Steelers of course yes. Titans yes eight. Falcons yes nine. Cardinals yes ten. <laughs> Carolina yes. Yeah. Yes, that's eleven. Bears, yes, 12. Cowboys? Yes. Probably would, 13. Uh, Detroit, I wouldn't. He just got you to the NFC Championship. Oh, I in a second would get yeah, rid of golf for him. Packers? I wouldn't. That's 50, so I'm still at 14 for me. I, I probably wouldn't. Yeah, 14. But I, uh, I could be maybe talked into it in Green Bay. Rams, yes, 16. Vikings, yes, 17. Saints, I would probably do it twice, no, 18. Yeah. Giants, yes, 19. Eagles, I probably wouldn't, so I'm still at 19. I would do it if I was the Eagles. 49ers, I wouldn't. I'm I would still do it 19. if I was the 49ers. Uh, Seattle, yes. Tampa, yes. Washington, yes. So I got about 22. Yeah. And that's for me, and, I, and that's fewer than you got to. I got to 22. And I think I'm at like 25 that would. Wow. That puts you in perspective, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. And there's 20. I went through there. For my list, I, I, I hit 22 teams of the 32 that if I was them, I would – I would take Caleb Williams and trade my guy, and I and I did not pick Philadelphia or Detroit or Miami. Three that you did. Yeah, that's the three different. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I, to me, it's it's. Well, I, and again, we're talking about we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. But he seems to fit where the NFL game is going really well in Caleb, in Caleb Williams, and I uh, and again, there's been a lot of uh, really good. Articles in support of Williams, uh, and I mean, in terms of basically what USC's defense gave him uh, over the past couple of years, like, uh, and I apologize, maybe it was Daniel Jeremiah, but I somebody wrote that when USC held the opponent to thirty-four or less, Caleb Williams was twelve and zero. I mean, it was it, it, a lot of people got hung up on his record and. But I mean, the guy, their defense was atrocious. I mean, they—he was always chasing points, uh, and so I think that did affect his numbers this season. And I mean, I, he just seems perfectly built for where the, where the NFL is going. He can extend plays. He's a magician uh, when, when he does extend the plays. His arm is, you know, one in a million, and it just to me, it, it seems like, and it, it's it's not only the talent; it's the fact that. You've got him on a very controlled contract for a minimum of three years, and that's the problem that you're you're ending up with these guys like Fields, like Daniel Jones. I uh, Trevor is kind of getting into this realm if he doesn't improve his play. I think he will, so I don't think it'll really become a conversation with Trevor. But it's kind of slightly there now, um, of just what do you do with these guys? Do you commit the fifty million a year to them? Do you move off of them? It's it's really some of these decisions are incredibly hard to make, and they can be devastating if you make the wrong decision. So I just think in Chicago's case, you're in that right. kind of gray area with Fields. Yeah. Move on from Fields right. and start fresh with Caleb. Again, the risk. It's the risk too. I mean the, I mean, <laughs> he's so good, and the expectation, the bar, I guess, is what I'm saying. Hayes, the bar is so high. That see most players, anytime you take a quarterback in the first round and 
and make him the king of the franchise, there's some risk. This is one of the few guys that there's risk in not doing it because of how you'll be perceived. Again, you can you can kind of forgive anyone that passed on Patrick Mahomes because they, you, we didn't know. We really you didn't you you had a hunch, but you didn't know. Now with this guy, you feel like you do know. I promise you, if Caleb Williams becomes a really good player, like he becomes Mahomes, everybody's going to say, "Of course we knew." Right. There will be no. It'll be like Manning Leaf. Yeah, that correct. There'll be no. There'll be no detractors. Of course you knew he's. Of course you knew he's going to be great. Of course you knew he's going to be great. So interesting stuff. Um, what about the other quarterbacks? What about Drake May and Jaden Daniels and whoever else is Bo Nix and and Michael Penix? I think it's a great year. I mean, I it's a, I, it's, a, it's, a it's a there's a lot of possibly good quarterbacks. I think so. I mean, obviously a lot of it'll be environment and and what the teams that are drafting them you know put around them, but. I I certainly like Caleb Williams. I, I like Drake May. Uh, I I not like enamored, but I I think he's got a chance to be good. Jaden Daniels, I think, is going to be incredible. Uh, so I think I Jaden, whoever gets Jaden Daniels, Jane Daniels yeah, yeah, I think he's. I think again, I mean, you're talking about somebody who he, you were watching and you take him. Yes, I take him over May. Yeah, you you you. T- I mean, yeah. But I also, if I was New England at three, would be very happy to get May. Yeah. I, so you so you you would take if you had the if you were if you were general manager of the Bears, I would then, take Williams. Okay, and then all, and then all of a sudden, if you're general manager of the top three teams, you would take those three quarterbacks. I would. Yeah, I think it's uh, and you know normally there's more guys at the top that I don't like than than do, okay. but I think this is a really strong year. I I, I mean I I, like I think McCarthy has a chance. I um certainly. I, uh, you know, the the Brock Purdy. In ter- in terms of trying to recapture yeah. that, I uh, you're seeing teams that are looking more at experience, and yeah. and that that's now a translator of you know with the COVID year, some of these guys are entering the NFL with 45 starts under their belt. Uh, okay. Bo Nix has played a gargantuan amount of football, so that speaks to he fits that trend. Uh, obviously, he's a talented player, but also. Uh, the fact that he is ready to go. He has been put in every situation you could be asked to be put in. He has started so many games at the college level that, that he is prepared. So, I, I mean, I really do think it's a, it's a great crop. I think four quarterbacks will definitely go in the first 16 picks, which is great for the Jaguars. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I, I think it's, it's going to be more can the teams that are taking them put them in the right situations with the right talent with the right, right coaching, but I, I do think it's a really special year for these quarterbacks. All right, I got one for you. I'm going to test you. Um, let's say Williams goes one to the Bears. Uh, uh, Jaden Daniels goes two to the Commanders. For whatever reason – the Patriots take Marvin Harrison Jr. Okay. They sign Cousins or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're the Cardinals. You take Drake May? Yes. Over over what you have in Kyler Murray? Yeah, I think Kyler Murray is average yeah. at best. See, I think the same thing. So I think the Cardinals take quarterback. I, think I, quarterback, I would. I think if one of the three are there, the Cardinals do it. Yeah. Um. Obviously, the Chargers don't. The Giants, same question. 
I would. Yeah, if I mean, you were I, the Giants, if you were the Giants and you had Daniel Jones and you just paid him, yeah, would you get rid of him for Drake May? I would for Drake May. I I would even consider would it for think? McCarthy. I don't think they will. Would um, you really? I would think about it. But again, I'm not a big Daniel Jones yeah, fan. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Daniel Jones are so. I mean, to me, paying Daniel Jones forty million dollars a year is just, I mean, preposterous. Okay. The Titans. What if one of the three are available? Yeah, you have to do it. I mean, Even Levis. You just took a quarterback. Yeah, I mean, Levis was a second round pick, so I mean, there's not the, and it's a totally, I, well, it's not a new regime. Rand Carthon is, is the GM, but it's it's kind of a reset. So, yes, if I was Tennessee, it's. If Drake May was there, I would absolutely tra- take Drake May, and I would think about McCarthy. I don't think they will. Again, I don't think they will take him because right. I think they want to see what they have in Levis. But I'm surprised that everybody in Nashville is so excited about Levis because I didn't see. I mean, there was some I mean, flashes, but I didn't really, I didn't really view him as having some sort of incredible year. Now. The weapons were terrible around them, and I, I certainly understand that. And obviously there was a lot of friction between the coaching staff and the front office, so it probably wasn't the most harmonious situation for a rookie quarterback. But if I was Tennessee, I wouldn't, I wouldn't let taking Will Levis in the second round last year prevent me from taking a blue-chip quarterback if, if one fell to me. Take a break. Uh, let's talk our running backs. Uh, looks like no one's tagging anybody in the running back world. What does that mean? We'll talk about it after this. The Frangie Show, live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. It's a Best Bet Monday on The Frangie Show with fantastic locations in Jacksonville, Orange Park, and now in St. Augustine. It's Best Bet. If you uh, started your... uh Atlanta Braves baseball prep yet? Have you done any prep? It's all about prep. Life's about prep. You know, I, I I started to dig into it. I'm really excited about this Jeff Blouser this year. You know, he's a young, gritty player. Uh, yeah. Doesn't have the best bat, right, but right. I think he's steady, steady in the field. Oh, I I think he's gonna you know be maybe our our eighth guy you know in the lineup somewhere in there. I'm expecting 240. Yeah. Okay. Will um. We do me a favor. Yeah. We asked me what number Jeff Blouser wore. What number did Jeff Blouser wore? Did he really? Yeah, it's just, in case you want, just in case you wanted to know. <laughs> Jeff Blouser wore number four. It's, I, I admit it's not healthy. It's it, incredible. It's who we are. He, yeah, he, he it's, it's amazing. Yeah, the, he, he, would, he would flip a little double it's, play uh, it's, it's really too bad that the CIA didn't recruit you when you were 20 years old. Uh, to, uh, two hop grounder, he flipped a little double crack play Crack codes. To Mark Lemke, who was 20. Okay, just, That's amazing. Just, so, so just, Your mind and numbers. Yeah, Unbelievable. Yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, I, I, I would expect they'll have a – a huge year you know I mean the Braves are never going to be really overly exciting because they've secured their nucleus so I mean it's not you know they, right, the they, they've done such a great job yeah of of taking care of their own that I you know I I think they're just going to consistently consistently be right in the mix but they haven't been one of the teams that has stolen the offseason headlines like the Dodgers obviously and Yankees so they're, the Braves are interesting because they're really good, like really good. I mean, they're they're they're. I mean, they have again, other than maybe the Dodgers, they've got certainly the best lineup in baseball. I don't think anybody would even debate that, Hayes. And when Strider's right and Max Fried's now signed, and I mean, I I think, yeah, I, I I'll be interested to see how Sale does for them. Chris Sale's there now. 
but there's not the buzz about them. And they're in their, they're, I mean, the Atlanta Braves are, if I'm a Braves fan, and maybe Braves fan doesn't care because they win all their games, but if I'm an Atlanta Braves fan, I'm like, you know, I hear Dodgers, 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 and all these other teams. I, if I did a power without thinking twice, if I did a power poll right now, if most people wouldn't the Braves have to be top two or three on on everybody's power poll? That's what I would think. I mean, they've won the division the last six years. Uh, their winning percentage is. I mean, they've won two hundred and five games the last two years combined. Uh, 101 in, in 22 and 104 last season. So, and, and, and again, a lot of their talent is just now getting to the peak of their career. So, I, you know, I, I think that, I think the expectation has to be that they're going to win a hundred games. Well, if, if that's the expectation, how are you not one of the top okay. three or four best teams in baseball? All right, I just pulled up Will Leach. From MLB.com, I've no idea who he is. Mm-hmm. He's some dude. Is that L E I T C H? Yes. Okay. Do you know? Have you read him? Or uh, yes, he's uh, he's very good. Okay. He anyway, just Braves one. He's very very good. <laughs> you pulled it up too. Dodgers two, Rangers three, Orioles four, Phillies five. I guess, and then Astros, Rays, Yankees, D-backs, Blue Jays. Um, I don't know about – I mean, look, I hope the Braves win the World Series, but I don't know about, you know, one. But, hey, that's great. Well, if if your list is Braves one – the Braves have the best lineup. If they get the best – I mean, I guess that's – the Braves won, Dodgers two, Rangers three, I guess. I You, I you see a fall coming there, right? I do. I, I yeah. don't think the Rangers the, – the Rangers, from the minute the season ended, they turned into this mega power team that nobody could beat. And they ran through they ran through the Rays and the Orioles and all these teams. I don't think that was too unusual. You know, it, it just they they it was too unusual. The point you made all year last year, and I was with you on this, is waiting for once the Astros decide to play, they're one of the two or three best teams. The, the I had a hard time believing the Rangers were better than the Astros until they beat the Astros. You right. know, but boy, this thing's got the Astros sixth. I think they're better than that. It's also got the Rays seventh. You and I kind of are on the same page on that too. Uh, oh, and by the way, this is a lot of good people that voted on this thing. But uh, I mean, we'll see. I will say this about the Braves, and and I and I do like this. It's not as much. It's not like this as much as it was in the '80s or even the '90s. But the Braves are still the South's team. Now that's changed a lot. Because more pe- people play fantasy baseball and more transient people, and now everybody can watch their team on TV, so you don't have to adopt a team in your area. But the Braves are still the team of the SEC. They're still the team of the ACC. They're still Jacksonville's team. Uh, the Rays and the Marlins are not Jacksonville's no. team. No, uh, the Braves are Jack. The Braves are Birmingham's team. They're Nashville's team. They're Knoxville's team. They're Charlotte's team. I think they're New Orleans' team. They're Columbia, South Carolina's team. Don't you think? Absolutely. The Braves. The Braves. If you if you if you bump into random guy in Charleston, South Carolina, he's a Braves fan. Random guy in Anniston, Alabama, he's a Braves fan. In Metairie, Louisiana, or in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee, they're Braves fans. Now I think once you get into Kentucky, there's probably Reds country, right? Yes, I would say Kentucky's yeah. probably Reds country. And it'll be interesting when Nashville gets a team, you know, which it, it will, which it will, yeah. you know, if it can make a dent. But yeah, I mean, I. The Braves own the South. They yeah. they always have, and 
I, I would imagine that even in Tampa and Miami, there's probably every bit as many Braves fans as there is Rays and Marlins. You know, I wonder about that because in Tampa and Miami, I don't think the Braves are as prominent. I think the Yankees and the Red Sox are prominent because there's a lot of transient people. There's an awful lot of people in Central and South Florida, particularly South Florida, but the Gulf Coast as well, a lot of people that grew up in New York or Boston that live there now. Uh, you know the story. When the Rays play, because they're in the division, the Red Sox and the Yankees, they have sellouts, even though they only sell 25,000. 25,000 is a sellout there. But when they turn around the week later and play the Royals, nobody goes to the game. Well, that tells you that it's, the, it's, it's Yankees and Red Sox fans. here. And in fairness mm-hmm. to the Rays, by the way, I can tell you this. When the Pirates play a home game against the Yankees, it sells out. And I'd like to think it's just those good Pittsburgh fans want to see the Yankees, but it's not. It's Yankees fans are like Steeler fans or Cowboys fans or 49er fans are everywhere. So, so, but, so, so I, th- I still think the Braves are the South's team, but it's weird. It's changed a little. It's, it's not like those diehard – here's my take on it, Hayes. It's not like those diehard Southern Braves fans have left the Braves for the Phillies or the Marlins. It's they're not as into the baseball now. Maybe there's more stuff. Maybe they're more into their college basketball team now. Maybe they're more into. Maybe they follow the NFL more because they've gotten into fantasy. Something, something. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, the the fourteen year old kid in Birmingham is not a diehard Braves fan. He roots for the Braves more than anybody else, but he's not. Jackson Carlin doesn't care about the Braves. Yeah, and it's it is interesting because baseball obviously is is so big in our area. So it's yeah, I'm not trying to say obviously the talent here is is incredible, but I I will say from a where it fits in pop culture, um, it doesn't seem like there's near the buzz for baseball at least with Jackson and his friends that they're certainly for the NFL. I tell you, the guy that they can't get enough of is Wimby. I mean, really? Oh, it's that's cool. Oh yeah, Jackson and his buddies are. I mean, really? Yeah, Wimbenyama is is the guy. I'll be darned. And he is incredible. I mean, it. But like, I wouldn't pay attention. But he's talked about it so much that we've started like we'll watch games and we'll like if if I see Wimby has a incredible like the other night he RJ can speak more to this but he basically uh, had like five of everything uh, in, in a very rare performance in, in the league. But uh, he, he's, he's just, for a rookie, he's just, he's amazing. I mean, and- RJ, is Wimby going to bring the common fan back to the NBA, you think? San Antonio is going to have to win in order for, yeah. for him to do it. I think just good, good point. the appeal of seeing like a 7-4 guy move as like he's 6-9 yeah. is uh, very incredible, but... But you'd have to know, but you can't... You, RJ, you can't watch him move like that if you don't know he exists. Exactly. Like, Wemby's a guy that maybe people think exists. I guess that's kind of the... Your point's a good one, though. No one's going to pay attention if they're losing. He, they got to win some, don't they? Yeah, at some point you're going to have to win. The numbers he's putting up is incredible. He had the 5x5 five five against the Lakers, but... What does that mean? I don't know what that means. So he had five or more... Um, in each major stat category, so five steals, five blocks, five-plus rebounds, five-plus points, okay. um, et cetera. So, yeah, I think the second youngest player to do that since Akeem, I think that was the stat. Um, so, I mean, he's doing a very good job, you know, as in his rookie season, but I think San Antonio is going to have to make a couple moves um, before I think Wimbenyama can even be considered, like, one of the faces 
of the NBA, a legitimate face of the NBA, because San Antonio just has to start winning. You realize, by the way, speaking of the NBA, that the Boston Celtics are five games clear of anybody else in the association? Wow. That's a gigantic number. You realize that, RJ? I guess you do. But, I mean, they're five games clear of anybody in the East or West. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Oh, no, this is an amazing thing uh, by the Boston Celtics. And I, I think they're clear head and shoulders above a lot of other teams in the NBA, either East or West. Um, I hate saying this, but I do think it's their NBA championship to lose. Now, it Denver is. is a defending champion, but this Boston team is just absolutely sick. And I don't know who in the Eastern Conference is going to really put up much of a fight against them. Eight. I mean, it could be the New York Knicks. That's, you know, everybody – that's an NBA head, believes the New York Knicks are going to be that team. But um, Boston just has that firepower, man, that just seems you you can't put that out. The, the average Boston game this year is the Celtics winning by an average of 10.3 points. The average game. That's the average game for Boston this year. And by the way, people don't know what an enormous stat that is because you think, well, win about 10 isn't that big a deal. The average game, not the average win, the average right. game. Like the the next highest is uh, Oklahoma City. Uh, their average game is they win by eight point two. So you're talking about the Celtics lead that category wow. by two point one points over the next best team. Pretty amazing stuff. We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, we're going to take flight. All that and more. We'll keep it on hoops. Stay with us. The Frangie Show live from the Hastings Injury Law Firm Studios on 1010XL. Hit back with Hastings. Time now for the Sky Life Elite Take Flight Moment of the Week. Sky Life Elite, North Florida's premier private air charter. Passed up the three. Throws the baseline and has it blocked. And somehow saves it. Open three, Richard. Got it. You mean that's the old throw it up underneath yes. the backboard and then kick it out for a three play? That's exactly what James <laughs> Naismith had in mind when he invented this great game. That's a great call. Mark Weiss does such a great job. It's, really good. Uh, it's always it's really awesome good. when he's on uh, Gators broadcast. Uh, that was Will Richard hitting a three. Unconventional uh, in terms of the ball movement, but Todd Golden's offense gets it done. That three by Will Richard put the Gators up by 11. They would lead the game for the final 26-09 uh, by double digits. So a fantastic job by Florida closing out Vanderbilt. And uh, Will Richard uh, with a, a brilliant day scoring the ball. 21 points. He also had four rebounds, three assists. And that is our Sky Life Elite Take Flight Moment of the Week. Again, give our friends at Sky Life Elite a call at 490-9332 or find them at flyskylife.com to learn more about private air charter. Yeah, I can't uh, I can't wait. to. We haven't taken one of those yet. We're going to take one of those. Maybe football season. We're gonna Absolutely. Take I can't wait to do it. So we do appreciate our friends. And again, we tell you this all the time, and more and more people are finding out because they keep telling Hayes and me, man, thank you for telling us about that place. It's affordable. You get a group together traveling, it's going to be affordable. Absolutely. And people forget how, how affordable it is because it really, really is. All right, almost out of time. Got a one segment to go here. You ready for tomorrow? You ready for Indy? You ready? I am. It's going to be a early wake-up call, uh, three-something in the morning. But uh, We fly early. Yeah, but uh, but that's good. We got to get there and get on the ground, and uh, it's it's going to be a fantastic day in terms of, Obviously, you know, talking to to Doug and, and Trent and seeing kind of where where they are on a, a number of topics relating to the Jaguars. And also, it's a very heavy day for other coaches and personnel. Most teams are 
Tuesday is the day for them as well. So it is going to be action-packed, tons of information. And uh, it, so it'll be great from a Jaguars perspective. Also will be really informative from a league-wide perspective as well. So looking forward to it. Uh, I mean, it's you land and it is go. There is uh, there's no easing into the pool. It is basically uh, 100 miles an hour from the second you get to Indy, which is great. About, how about this, by the way? I know you're a big weather guy. I know you pay attention to the weather. Oh, yeah. So I heard it was 72 right now in Indy. So we got, we got, that's a heat wave in Indy, right? Right. Well, so that won't I, last. Well, I don't know if you call this not lasting or not. 72 is the high today. Wednesday, the low is 22. Oh, great. <laughs> it's a, we got, I always expect to be bitterly cold yeah. on this trip. Well, so will. anything that isn't that it's, is uh, yeah. met with just glee. Yeah, um, but my expectation is to be miserable. It's never Starting Wednesday, starting Tuesday night, is never leaving the 40s until we get back. How about that? That's Wonderful. A, that's not... Now, at least, I mean, I've been years where it's been like a steady snow for yeah, three or four days, little... which is rare there, but it can happen. Yeah, I think there's going to be some wind, but I don't think there's going to be any snow. A lot yeah, of wind. so that's good. It's all about the wind, Hayes. It's all yes, about the wind. it will be a lot we'll of be Ubers. In, we'll be indoors most of the time. We uh, will be indoors and we will be in Ubers. We will be. <laughs> we will be. We will be in both. Not going to be. Uh, it won't be a lot of walking. It. There yeah. won't be a lot of walking. Will not be a lot of walking. That's exactly right. So, um, but I, but I am looking forward to. All right, before before we get out of here, but by, by, by this time tomorrow. We will have heard from both Doug and Trent two or three things that I think you, do you think Trent has to address, and then I'll have the same question for you with Doug. Yeah, I think Josh Allen, obviously, where it stands, you know, Trent was uh, gave us a, a pretty good update two or three weeks ago, basically saying I, I haven't started talks. So I think uh, updating the Josh Allen situation will be first and foremost. Uh, Calvin Ridley uh, falls right under that. And, uh, you know, and again, I, I think just their evaluations now that they've had time to collect their breath, finalize their staff, I, you know, what, what were the, the takeaways that they had from the collapse right. and, you know, what are the areas that need to be improved? I mean, Trent Baalke talked about, we need to be bigger and more physical. Uh, Doug Peterson really hasn't, you know, talked to, he, he, you know, took his medicine and, and talked right after the season ended. So it'll be the first time that we've caught up with Doug with him having the perspective of, you know, time to go back and, and really reflect on it. I, I think that, and uh, you know, and again, I think some questions on traits versus production, you know, you talk about the cornerback position. That is certainly a position where at 17, there could be like four corners that are all available it would all make a ton of sense. And how do you sift through that? You know, I mean, do you do you go after the, you know, Trent Baalke has been more of a traits guy. Uh, are you looking more for that or are you looking more for the on-field element? So, because they're all, they all have different cases. So, should be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. What about you? You're going to get both these guys one-on-one. Yeah, I think, that's, I think the big themes, Hayes, will be A, what are you doing with Josh Allen? And what are you doing with Calvin Ridley? Those are the first questions. B, and, and by the way, they can't show their hand, but you got to ask it. Then I think there's a handful of other guys that may or may not be on the football team, a handful that are under contract. Cam Robinson, uh, Brandon Sheriff, Rayshon Jenkins, uh, under contract. Uh, Zay Jones, under contract. Is there any chance any of those guys, and again, I'm not asking you, hey, I'm not going to say, Trent, tell me if you're cutting them or not. But how do you manage all that, I think, is a big part of it. And then, yeah, I think the, the, the question for Doug or listen, 
you've built a great culture. Say what you want. This is, it was still a team with, again, they've had two winning seasons in 26 years, and you've authored both. Oh, I'm sorry, they've had six winning seasons in 26 years, and you've offered, authored two of them. Um, you're obviously close. What does it take? What did you learn about your team? What did you learn about their culture? What did you learn about who they are? Uh, what did you learn about you and your staff a little? I think that's part of it. A question for Doug, too, is, Doug, listen, you gutted your defensive staff the minute it ended. When did you learn? When did you start believing? I mean, obviously, you didn't decide that overnight. When did you start thinking, hey, maybe I need to think about this? I think, right? I mean, because I think that's a big part of the, the whole the whole transition. Yeah, and the defensive scheme is going to be interesting. I, I, You know, again, I think just seeing Doug up there, body language, and, and having him talk about what is his role, is, you know, what – tweaks in his approach is he making in year three uh, is he is he going to be more hands-off with the defense with Ryan Nielsen's arrival does he feel like he has that luxury now right, uh, right. It, what in terms of his offensive involvement you know is is he going to take over play calling uh, you know is is he going to uh, continue to delegate as much as he's delegated to press Taylor or is he going to get more into the the micro of the offense. And so, you know, I, I think all those questions are going to be on the table and it'll be, you know, fantastic to see what they say. This almost kind of – the football, there's two off-seasons in football. There is the period between the Super Bowl and the player procurement phase, which is the legal tampering. And then there's the period – after the last mini camp until training camp, that's really it. In the NFL, there's two off off seasons of sort. Off seasons probably not is too strong a word, but there's the Super Bowl ends and Jim Nance gets up there on the podium and interviews Andy Reid. From that moment until the combine, the the, the, the combine, yeah, yeah the le- the legal tamp. But that's what I was mm-hmm. going to say, the legal tampering. Yeah. But this kind of starts that period. Mm-hmm. So so we've had what we've had two weeks. Yeah, about so there's, two weeks. There's yeah. two weeks. And then it really starts again March 11th. So there's about a, there's about three or four four weeks. Well, this is the this is the spring training for the next the next phase, mm-hmm. right? And then then once you get to once you get to the legal tampering, from there until not just the draft but minicamp. From there until mandatory minicamp and OTAs are mixed in there. Is and then you have then you then you have the real off season, which is when guys like us take vacations. Is uh, is after so this kind of kicks off. Football talk again. It never really got out. It never really went away, but it died down a little bit. And I think it kind of kicks off that 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 stretch again, coming up. It should be a lot of fun. And again, there's going to be some blockbuster trades. You know, obviously Justin Fields is the one that is on everybody's radar going into the combine, going into the off season. Uh, but it, I mean, it would not be a surprise if a big time receiver gets moved. Is it AJ Brown? Uh, is it Justin Jefferson? I would be shocked, but you're, that be you're hearing whispers that you know could that be in play if if the if the Vikings get the right uh, compensation? So you know that's interesting as well because to your point, the Jaguars are in the mix to be good. That's that's how I would describe them. They're in the mix to be good. There's eleven teams in the AFC to me that are in that mix. It's a very deep conference. And there's only seven spots. Uh, the Jaguars are a prime candidate to make that kind of big move. Now, it has to be the right player. It has to be the, the, the player that would fit. Uh, but, you know, 
the Jaguars trading for a elite receiver would not surprise me at all if that's the fallout from the Ridley thing not getting done. And, you know, it would be interesting to see uh, what the Eagles would be looking for in an A.J. Brown. You're hearing Waddle may be available in Miami. Uh, you know, so, I mean, that is something that it's time for the Jaguars to be aggressive in their approach. They were uh, the complete opposite of that last year. I do think it cost them. Uh, so I would in, I would anticipate the Jaguars being on the attack more this offseason. You would think. And I, and I, again, for the reason we've been stating, this is a team that's close. This is a team that their window is here. This is a team that, and again, I, I've said it all along, I think – as disappointed as we all – you're going to hear me say this a bunch between now and September, so I'm preparing you. But as disappointed as we all were in the way it ended and as disappointed as they were, Hayes, in the way it ended, this is a team that does not have – that is not that far away. Trent Baalke, I'm going to ask him this tomorrow. He made a really good point. He said it's hard to turn a team into a competitive team but or to make a team a decent team. But to go from a competitive team to a championship team is a gigantic step. That's the hardest step because, number one, that player procurement's got to involve some really good guys. And so you got the coach, you got the quarterback, you got, listen, you got the pass rusher. I mean, if you got the coach, the quarterback, and the pass rusher, that looks like they do. By the way, your point about scheme is really important because if all of a sudden you're going to a man scheme, and nobody knows that that's going to happen, by the way. But we made this assumption because Ryan Nielsen in the past has played some man. Then you wonder if your cornerbacks fit. These corner I thought I thought Darius Williams had a terrific year. I thought Tyson Campbell did too. But that's pretty much with keeping everything in front of them. That's pretty much some zone concepts where you where you can keep your eye. You're not turning your back to the line of scrimmage. If you got to turn and run, that is that is a little bit of a different turning and running is a different scheme. That's what man teams have to do. So yeah, we'll see. I'll be interested to see how the way that whole thing kind of plays out. It's going to be a lot of fun. Be a lot of fun to get up there. I will say I did get a chuckle looking at the weather when, when I think it was Demetrius that texted or tweeted. It says 71 degrees in India. That's awesome. Finally, we're not going to have cold weather. 22 is the low on Wednesday. 20. We're not. By the time we get there, it's not getting asked. By the way, so wear a jacket. I will say I have already packed my heavy jacket. You already have you no. are you packed already? I'm close. How about that? Yeah, I'm Look close. Look at you packing early, guys. Well, I'm planning on getting really inebriated tonight. So <laughs> okay. I had to get all get the, the all the adult stuff out of the way because <laughs> that alarm is going to go off. So oh, I have uh, I have uh, not even grabbed the suitcase out of the, clo- out yeah. of the closet yet. Look at this guy, Mr. Sphere, walking in oh, here. Blue. He goes to the Sphere. You think Blue would have made any money in Vegas? Wait, oh. Give me a number. Give I'm surprised number. he came give back. Me, I give figured me a he'd give retire. Me a uh, seven, eight grand? What, give me a uh, number. Minimum. What he made this when he went made at those casinos. He's going to tell you he doesn't gamble anymore. <clears> yeah. We know the truth. What do you think? <laughs> Let's say hello to Rick Blue. Now, the two-minute drill. Brought to you by Tire Outlet. Tire Outlet is now hiring. Visit tireoutlet.com slash careers. Equal opportunity employer. How's the sphere? Oh, it was fun. Was it? it was fun. Pretty amazing, huh? It is. Is, it, is, uh, is, it, is, is it worth it? Yeah. yeah, it was worth it. It's as good as everyone says. Yeah, I mean, it was. That's awesome. It was. Describe it. I mean, describe the setting. I mean, obviously, and it's, it's like too. being in a spaceship or it something. Is. It it's really like, is. Uh, like the first time I went to Space Mountain when I was twelve. Although basically the lights were out uh, in that place. It's just, um, it, it's uh, no matter where you are in the place, it's uh, it's just phenomenal. The well, sound. People who don't know, Rick saw YouTube in the sphere yeah. in Las Vegas. So, so it uh, looks real how, steep. Uh, 
It is. is. It? Yeah, okay. It is. So I was down low. I, I got some really good seats. They were, they were really pricey, but they, it was well worth it. And um, just everything that they do with uh, how the spear, you know, circles the entire, I guess, the arena, whatever you would call it. I guess the spear is what you call it. Uh, just phenomenal. I mean, the, the sound? effects. Sound? sound is unlike anything I've ever heard before. Really? Even better You know, than and stadium shows are great and everything, but that's the problem when you have 60,000, 70,000 stadium you. shows. That I you, agree. You know, you... It's, it's good to be, uh, well, it's good to be, you know, liquored up and into it and yeah. sing along because it's not going to be as intimate as when you see someone at Daly's Place or the yeah, Florida Theater yeah, or something yeah. like that. Th- this place was totally that. Even I with 17,000, it was sold out. Yeah. It was um, it was just incredible. It was uh, awesome. You clean out all the casinos? <laughs> you make all the money? I didn't bet once. You didn't bet I once. I did not. The I GF kinda, did a I, little bit. I actually kind of believe him. I kind of yeah. believe him. Though. I'm so recovered. It's um, yeah, yeah. it's really pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I re- I need the laps here at some point. It's been <laughs> ten plus years, and um, I just had no itch. And and the GF's like, we got to do something. We can't go to Las Vegas. And, slots or something. And say we did. Yeah. So we fooled around with slots, and she made thirty-seven dollars. I said, let's cash out. <laughs> Let's get out of there. Uh, hey, what do you expect? So that was good. I went to the Mob Museum, which yeah. was really, you would really love that. interesting. You would love that. So. Um, right there in uh, in uh, in Las Vegas. So that did that for a few hours. That was pretty cool. But uh, I miss you guys. Good to be back, man. What, what do you expect from Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke tomorrow? They're both going to stay. They're going to be on with us, but first they're going to be at the post. You know, I think we'll get something. Uh, it's always, um, you know, it's not necessarily canned i i think the last time doug spoke we were kind of like oh wait a minute and then you know three hours later the uh the coaches got fired but i i think you'll you'll get something i wish i knew what it was i'm going to try to speculate on that tonight i i think it's going to be more than just the the typical q a i i think uh possibly somewhere some way you may be able to get a little bit of a taste i'm guessing on Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley, not necessarily yeah, yeah. what they're going to see as far as the prospects. They haven't even had a chance to right. see any of them yet. Right. But I still think it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to listening to them tomorrow, and you guys are going to have them on as well. That'll be perfect. With that, All that tonight? All that coming up tonight. I'll miss you guys out in Indianapolis. It's so beautiful out there. Have a great time. Yeah, be beautiful. Uh, 22 degrees below. <laughs> Rick, thanks, buddy. Rick Ballou goes into the night right now. That'll do it for our program tomorrow. Live from Indy, Doug Peterson will join me. Trent Balky will join me. Uh, we'll have a lot of other stuff. Uh, Mia uh, will be on our show some. Uh, Hayes and I will have it. Mia will be checking in during primetime as well. The next four days live from Indy at the NFL Combo. We're out of here. Don't go anywhere, though. Rick is next on 1010 XL and 92.5 FM.